a very special bonus episode of Into the Aether. It's a low-key video game podcast, and my name is Brendan Bigley. I'm Stephen Hoger. Today is a very big and important day for the two of us. I think an episode that we've wanted to record for years. Yeah, absolutely. Predating uh, the podcast, maybe even. <laughs> <laughs> this, you're absolutely right. This does feel like it's basically what I wanted to do maybe seven years ago. Um, <laughs> and and now is finally happening. Talking about Elder Scrolls V, Skyrim. Longtime listeners might be surprised we chose this over Oblivion. Or maybe even Morrowind. Yeah, um, Longtime listeners a- were surprised that we hadn't done this episode already. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, I think I was... And that's the thing. I think this game is such a staple and such like a modern classic that it's like... It's like if we started a music podcast and we're like, do you want to talk about Led Zeppelin? Like, who gives a shit? Like, you know, it's like... <laughs> what can you say that hasn't been like in a, every textbook about this medium? Yeah. But uh, we've both been revisiting Skyrim and it's a game that I think means a lot to both of us that we know a good amount about and kind of in the same spirit as our Pokemon Crystal episode and a few others with the bonus episodes we always like to maybe take an opportunity to look back at a game that like is kind of like cemented as a classic and to sort of see like why and what's there to learn from playing this again today what does it still do really well what maybe hasn't aged as well Skyrim I think is still pointed to as like the blueprint of a open world game Um, even outside of RPG like it's really like an open world triple a game which yeah. we'll talk more about yeah ubisoft just pretty much like copy pasted what bethesda did into like their entire next generation of open world games essentially <laughs> right so it, it's been interesting to go back to this game from like 2011 was a great year for games but i think a lot of games in this sort of like mid 360 era are like very hit or miss in terms of like how mm. relevant they feel you know yeah and it's been really i mean i had played skyrim recently enough to know that i was still going to enjoy the experience but like through the lens of doing this show it's been a really fascinating time but um i think we wanted to kind of open with like our initial experience of this game when it came out or around when it came out and kind of talk about that versus now and and just sort of like what kind of imprint this game still has yeah i'll i'll say uh on both of our behalfs um the elder scrolls 4 oblivion is like maybe one of the most important games to both you and i (laughs) yes just like our our entire like ethos and being as as humans who live on the planet earth like i think just ripped from the pages of the books in elder scrolls for oblivion i mean when this podcast originally launched the description officially on apple Podcasts was steven and brendan try to not talk about the elder scrolls for oblivion (laughs) it it meant it mentioned nothing about it being a low-key video games podcast it was just like we're trying our our damnness to not uh just turn every conversation to an oblivion conversation yeah, then so, that turned into three houses right then, you know, <laughs> other games um so I, I mean that said like you and i were kind of predisposed to love i think skyrim when it came out because of the amount of time that we had both oh my god put into well oblivion. yeah i was gonna say like the one idea originally for this episode was going to be to do Morrowind, Oblivion, and Skyrim, but I yeah. think like all three of those will probably get their own episode. Yeah, I'm glad that we did it this way because re- I mean we'll get into it later, but revisiting Skyrim uh, just for this episode specifically made me very happy that we were just talking about Skyrim because I haven't played Morrowind at all. I have it downloaded on my Xbox One. It's just kidding, my Xbox Series S. I still yeah. can't get the name right. <laughs> it's a mess. It's really a mess. Anyway, I have Morrowind downloaded. I'm excited to play it eventually, but I. Th- 
think like that would be good as its own episode. And we kind of did an Oblivion episode way back when, but I could see yeah. us doing like another for real one at some point. But I'm glad that we focused on Skyrim because I, I think Skyrim almost marks like I hate to phrase it this way, but almost like the end of the Bethesda era that I think you and I kind of like grew up on and and loved desperately you know like some of the stuff that's come since from bethesda i think doesn't hit the same notes for us as much as i love like fallout 4 and had a really good time with it like it was no skyrim for me it wasn't even a fallout 3 for me you know no no i mean i think you're right that this is definitely the swan song of a certain era and it's sort of like i think the bridge between two eras and the bridge between like two like kind of core design ideas of a Bethesda game. And uh, I think I think we'll definitely like explore what that means and why. Um, but kind of going back to like the initial impression, can I take you back to 2011 when yep. this game came out, Brendan? Please do, yeah. So like you said, Oblivion is like part of our DNA. We, yeah. we Vulcan mind melded with Oblivion. <laughs> like we're, we're both part. I think whatever that happens in that game is like kind of what's happening when we go to sleep. You know, that's sort of the level... <laughs> of connection there yeah whenever i sleep it's just a bunch of faces getting really close to my face going hello (laughs) be seeing you so um, weird exactly. nightmare of all the sliders and the character creator yeah. going to the left and right as far as they can. <laughs> I stare at the face of an elf who has like hyper realistic eyelids and just smooth everything else. <laughs> That's the thing about Oblivion is like the, every character has like photo realistic one feature and everything else is like right. a Microsoft Paint like flat color. <laughs> um, like the orcs are just like lime green all the way. Yeah. You know, like incredible. <laughs> I loved Oblivion. I think I, I've talked a lot about how my primary experience with RPGs up until like my later teens, early twenties was JRPGs. Like FF7 was the first like big RPG I ever played at a very young age. And I kind of primar I primarily stuck to that genre. I didn't play a lot of Western RPGs. Like I didn't play Kotor until after I had played Mass Effect kind of thing. So Oblivion really was like and I think that's why I think our episode of that Oblivion is the perfect episode. It's FF7 and Oblivion. Because yeah. like those two games are my entry point into JRPGs and WRPGs respectively. I could not get over the fact that I could make my own character because again like I hadn't even played D&D which like Mm -hmm. you know I played later in life and was like oh my god like this is so much shit you know (laughs) Uh, it's theatrical it's like indulgent I love it but uh, yeah Oblivion kind of like opened my mind to the idea of like not having like a preset story or path like in Final Fantasy but like really just letting you do what you want to and writing the story around that. And Bethesda, I think in Oblivion and in Skyrim did kind of this like very hands-off approach where it's like, you know, they had already kind of written out all these potential story beats and encounters that you may or may not experience. But with both games, you could tell that there was a intended experience that was left up to you. They wanted you to feel like you were playing D&D by yourself, basically. Right. Whereas, you know, in, in Final Fantasy and even in Bioware games, like there's a kind of a set story. And in Bioware games, they really are focusing on like your actions are changing everything. Whereas like Oblivion and Skyrim are comfortable having things mean nothing. Yeah. You know, and that's like kind right. of what we'll get into the more The world would go on without you. Yeah. Um, so I loved Oblivion. It, I was obsessed 
obsessed with it. I was so into Oblivion. It was it was my sophomore or junior year of high school, and it was the same time that WoW was like really big. Mm. And I was so into Oblivion that I somehow like dodged the WoW bullet, like never <laughs> gave a shit about WoW and just loved Oblivion. Yeah, um, which kind of felt like the Zune of fantasy at the time. Like everyone was playing WoW, and I was like, I'm good. I'm playing as a weird tiger man by myself. Yeah. So loved Oblivion, but and, and Oblivion was a big hit. Like if you liked RPGs, you know, like a lot of people played Oblivion. Yeah. But it really wasn't for everyone. I remember every time I had a friend over in high school or even in early college before Skyrim came out, anyone who fell prey to watching me play Oblivion was like so bored immediately. They're like, please stop talking to everyone and doing alchemy. <laughs> Just kill someone, fight some, some do something. Yeah. Because all I would do was like speechcraft and alchemy. Uh, just a true nightmare. Um, so I knew Skyrim was coming out. The marketing, I've said this before, the marketing was 11, 11, 11. Yeah. Um, and right. I knew that it was in the province the Nords were from. Oblivion heads might know Bruma, the northernmost uh, city state <laughs> that is like one of the few snowy areas in Cyrodiil. So I'm like, oh man, that's a cool town. There's a whole game that's like snowy, but Oblivion? Yeah. Right. Oh my God. So I set it in my calendar. I went to GameStop uh, right when it came out and I got it like maybe first. Like I might have gotten the first copy for sale. <laughs> uh, I definitely got the first copy in my house in college because pretty much seconds after people saw me playing it, everyone else got it too. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing that I really want to stress is that like Oblivion was a hit if you liked RPGs. Skyrim was like a hit no matter who you were. Yeah. Skyrim was weirdly like Halo 3 levels like finish the fight level of marketing. Like yeah. the, the the hype lead up to Skyrim was unlike anything I think that I had ever seen for a game that like should have been that niche. Yeah, uh, right. really, really wild. Did you get it? What what uh, console did you get it for? I had it on 360. How did it run on 360? Did it run well? I don't know. I know. Yeah. I have no idea. My 360 even in 2011 would go whenever I turned it on. Yeah. So probably not. But like. I remember at at the time, you know, uh, my one roommate had a PS3 and he had it on that. And my one roommate had like a very great PC. And that's obviously probably where it was best. Mm -hmm. But like I had it ran fine enough to have like the quintessential initial Skyrim experience. Yeah. What, what did you play it on? I played on PS3 um, and I, I remember at launch there was a there was a bug that is like now infamous and weirdly has come up again because Cyberpunk has the same bug again uh, what, nine years later um, where if you played enough and your file size or like your save file got too big the game would just stop working. Oh uh, yeah. If you like yeah. did too many of the quests and the game had to save your progress and all of those quests it would just stop working entirely. Yeah I mean Bethesda is like infamous for a level of bugs that has weirdly become charming it's kind of like yeah. old music having like out of date recording technology and it's like now become a cool aesthetic to have that yeah which i do want to talk about that a little bit more yeah, later but totally. that bug that bug in particular i just thought was so funny because like i did run into it multiple times where i would like play until the save file broke and then would start over again yeah as until buggy, i eventually uh, played it on pc which i'll also get to yeah as buggy as that game still is there there were a lot of like day one patches that had to like immediately fix some some yeah. major issues yeah. but i was i was really blown away my initial my initial thoughts playing skyrim at that time was like nothing but amazement and i i pretty much felt like they had improved upon everything yeah that was like my my first takeaway was like and i 
I still kind of land there. I mean, I think there's a lot. I still prefer about Oblivion, but I think like if you're just going to pick up the game and play it for an hour, like everyone's going to be like, yeah, Skyrim is more fun. Like, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) You know, Um, and I think it just it really uh, I said this on the stream, but it's it's the comparison I think about is like New Leaf and New Horizons with Animal Crossing. Mm. Very different landscape and very different game. But like you got New Leaf if you liked Animal Crossing, but everyone got New Horizons. Yeah, you know, totally. and there's, there's circumstances around that that I think led to increased acquisition of New Horizons. But like Skyrim, like the broiest of bros at the college I went to would be like, yeah, dude, did you fight Croesus yet? Like, you know, like, <laughs> like everyone, it outsold whatever the Call of Duty was at that time. Right. Everyone had it. And it was also like, I think at this sort of zeitgeist of like, you know, Conan-esque fantasy, like Game of Thrones is very popular. Mm-hmm. That was like the launch of Game of Thrones at the same time. I don't know what it was. Everyone just wanted like a snowy-ass like tavern fantasy, like at that exact time. Yeah. And it came out and I think... Is designed in a way that is like, and this is goes back to what you were saying about sort of the end of an era. It is just streamlined enough that it doesn't lose the feeling of being like a D&D RPG experience. You know, I think every game that has copied Skyrim has lost that, has just made like a AAA open world action game. This is not forgetting that like they want you to randomly find a telekinesis spell in a cave. You know, like there's there's <laughs> there's there's a little bit of Dragon's Dogma DNA of like that unfinished quality or that idea. Right. This is the analogy I was using. Like a DM for a game of D and D has written the whole campaign and has left the table and is like, yeah, figure it out. I don't care. Yeah. I'm not going to tell you what works or what doesn't. You can just <laughs> experience what I've already pre-programmed for you. Um, and I think that's if I if I said nothing else, that is what Skyrim still nails is that feeling of like existing in a predetermined Calvinist world <laughs> where like you're just sort of navigating things that have already been written and how you navigate them is totally open in a way that's not like you can be stealthy or you can be f- fighting directly. It's like you can just jump around on a mountain, you know, and like, yeah. like there's, so, there, it is so loose in how you accomplish things that like, maybe you do lose some of that, like, oh, like this isn't, isn't, des- it's not like a Dark Souls where it's like designed around me learning. This is just like total chaos. And I think there's a place for that, you know? <laughs> yeah. So that's, so that's like, that's my initial kind of overview of, of like how I felt when the game came out and like how I think about it now, but obviously we'll dive into specifics, but I want to give the floor to you because I've been gushing. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, as we mentioned, played a lot of oblivion um i i and my friends were like big oblivion fans and we would all like gather at somebody's house whoever had the biggest tv and like just kind of like throw it up on the xbox 360 and then just like how really, the hell were we not friends in high school i don't school? know i have no yeah. idea weird um <laughs> but like that was all we did for a while and that was actually my impetus for getting a 360 for myself was specifically so i could play oblivion on my own because i just like loved seeing it so much and i love that world so much so the hype lead up to skyrim was like unreal i mean it was like really really wild i remember like buying video game magazines to like read the the full exposés about what skyrim was going to be like i i even like remember some of the trailers like that's kind of how how burned into my consciousness that marketing cycle was <laughs> And 
the, the funny thing about when the game came out though 11 11 11 specifically is um is that i had already dropped out of college and i had joined a band that i was in and i lived with the band i, I don't know if i ever talked about this on the podcast before but i like immediately moved home from florida where i was going to college and then i moved in with the band that i joined uh, i was the bassist in that band i didn't know how to play bass i learned how to play bass for this band because they had just <laughs> kicked their bassist out and they were like we need somebody i was like hi hey, i just moved here um, have you guys played skyrim yet <laughs> and uh and <laughs> the, the the strange thing about it was that i was like i was much younger than everybody in the band by like a pretty large margin um yeah. so like i spent a lot of time like playing video games and hanging out with my friends and doing other things and i wasn't in college uh whereas all the other guys were like seniors in college and like graduating from like with like music business degrees and like music degrees and things like that so I was like really amped for Skyrim to come out. And I remember them sitting me down during what we, we would practice. I uh, This is a wild thing. We would practice for like eight hours a day, every single day, like seven days a week, eight hours a day. We would practice as if it was like a full time job, essentially. But I remember at the end of one of the rehearsals one day, they sat me down. They were like, so Skyrim's coming out, huh? I was like, yeah, they were like, you can't get it. I was like, what? <laughs> they were like, oh, no, they're like, if you get Skyrim, that's going to be you're going to sleep less than you're already sleeping. I was sleeping like an hour or two a night just about at that point in my life they were like you're gonna sleep less than you're already sleeping and everything's gonna get worse because you're only playing skyrim and i was like fuck you guys i'm getting skyrim and yeah. i sure did get skyrim and they didn't talk to me for like a week <laughs> Nobody it used to be to about me. the music brendan now it's all about jarls and me <laughs> uh they were they were like legitimately really upset with me because i bought the elder scrolls 5 skyrim which like yeah, weirdly weirdly taints my like initial impressions with it <laughs> it's just like remembering that everybody was mad at me behind me but i was so sucked into sky like it almost made me want to like dive headfirst into the tv and get even more sucked into the video game <laughs> persona uh, 4 yeah yeah it, it, look i'm gonna be honest probably not a healthy moment in my life but simultaneously it was maybe the best conditions under which to play the elder scrolls 5 skyrim on my playstation 3 uh and and play that game i did as i mentioned already just for hours and hours and hours and hours um until the save file would get so big that it would break and then i would start again <laughs> <laughs> which kind of allowed me to like roll different characters all the time. But I would inevitably like always lean into playing the sneak archer, which is like maybe maybe like my one like major like game design gripe, I would say with Skyrim is like they almost kind of lean you towards that direction. It's almost like that is maybe the best way to play it just based on the way the combat system is built it's like almost more satisfying and more fun to be a sneak archer than anything else that said i have had some experiences recently alongside the newest playthrough that i've been doing uh where i have specifically tried to break that cycle which we'll talk about and break out of the sneak archer thing which has been really fun um and has kind of illuminated some other stuff about skyrim that i hadn't really realized before but anyway uh, I played that on PS3 uh, when it came out and then eventually bought a gaming PC. It was the one time in my life that I ever had a gaming PC. Um, and the first thing I downloaded on it was Skyrim because I was like, I can have mods now. This is sick. Yeah. And I don't really remember a whole lot about that playthrough outside of it being my longest one. That's the one mm. I played like 200 hours of. And again, yeah. like Sneak Archer, like just doing everything I possibly could. A lot of that playthrough is like kind of wiped from my head. I don't really remember a lot of how, that, <laughs> how that went. Um, and then and 
going forward, I mean, it's become a meme at this point, but they've ported Skyrim to like pretty much everything. Like Skyrim is available for every single, like they made the definitive edition or whatever it is, a special edition for PS4 and Xbox One, um, which, you know, is now available on the Series S, which is the thing I've been playing. Uh, it's available on the Nintendo Switch now, which I've also played. And it was also available on PlayStation VR, which is the VR headset for PS4, um, which I have also played, which actually I think is my favorite version of Skyrim. It's um, really cool. Yeah, I'll, I'll say this up front. Uh, I, I think we might have talked about this like really early on in the podcast. I think you I had think come so. to my apartment. I think you came and yeah, visited New Jersey, yeah. you came to my apartment. And I made you play Skyrim in VR. The thing about Skyrim in VR, first of all, my depth perception as, as a human being is bad. Uh, my, one of my eyes is way better than the other one. Uh, and strangely enough, that means that uh, I can just spend infinite hours in virtual reality and not have like any motion sickness or any weirdness or anything like that, uh, which is perfect for a game like Skyrim. And the thing about that game in VR is that you, I don't think, understand the scale and the size of things and how you as the player character relate to the world until you're playing it in VR. But I just remember, uh, was it Bleak Falls Barrow is the first? Uh, yeah, first is like cave. the first. Yeah. Yeah, the first like major cave you have to go into for story reasons if you want to like get to the part where you get a shout for the first time. And I just remember walking in and like looking up and seeing the roof of Bleak Falls Barrow being like, I, I don't know, um, like you, you would have to stand like seven to ten of me on top of myself to reach the top. I had never realized that that place was that tall. You know, it's in moments like that that the VR like really sets in. It doesn't look great and it doesn't run super well, but it ran well enough for me to put like another hundred hours into it in VR. Um, and that is probably my favorite playthrough that I've done so far. It's just like recapturing all the magic of Skyrim as if I was playing it for the first time because I felt truly like sucked into it and and yeah. to me that is actually like maybe the best use case of vr as much as i love things like beat saber and um super hypercube and like these kind of like disparate like okay let's make like puzzle and arcade games in vr situations like just throw me into a world like skyrim that's the thing that i'm into the most my two favorite vr experiences ever are skyrim and vr and uh the hulu app <laughs> <laughs> I, that that's a really early yeah this is like the third test episode we did we talked about that did we? Frazier in the void yeah oh yeah yeah because yeah. you could change the uh, you could change the like where you're watching Hulu <laughs> yeah so you could sit in an empty movie theater and watch Hulu and I had a really small TV in my apartment but if I put the VR headset on I could sit in a big empty movie theater and watch uh, I don't know Marvel's The Runaways uh, in <laughs> VR which is I just thought very silly um, those are my two favorite experiences because I just like really felt kind of engrossed in the play but anyway, all of that leads up to the newest playthrough on the Series S, which I have also been playing with a lot of mods on, which I will talk yeah. about later. But um, that's kind of my my long history with Skyrim is I've I've played it like for hundreds of hours over many save files over Same, many years. Yeah. And like I continually revisit it. It's a game that's like constantly in my cycle of like, maybe I'll check this out again. Why not? It's it's always really great to return to. And that's something that's kind of been even further cemented with us. Like, be like, okay, why don't we talk about this? I mean, this is, we plan on doing Skyrim for a bit. And I, even in September, I had started a new character. I made yeah. a, a wood elf archer falling into the sneak archer uh, trend as always. Mm -hmm. That was my first character. I made an Argonian and he was a like assassin thief because like I love that in Oblivion. That was something that I noticed right away was like the stealth in Skyrim is so much better than Oblivion. You know, <laughs> yeah. you get the like kill shots of following the arrow and like, yeah, um, it's it's just, you know, whereas like in Oblivion, you're sneaking around with the claymore and they're like, ow, <laughs> and they fall over. <laughs> um, 
so I really enjoyed that. Um, I've also played, I pretty much made every kind of character. Uh, the one I'm playing now, obviously, is Lester, who only punches and like is a viable way to play Skyrim somehow, which has right. been like thrilling. But yeah, my first character was stealth. Uh, my second major character was uh, heavy armor and two-handed, which I think is my second favorite style of play because the two-handed weapons are a little bit slower, but like if you hit, like they're done. Mm-hmm. And against like higher level enemies, this is kind of like game of chess where it's like, when does one swing? And like, you know, it, it, it can be very thrilling. And you also just feel like sturdy as hell. You know, it's it's a nice change up from like yeah. hiding all the time. Right. I have made mages. I, I had an orc mage who I really liked. I like made him like a big family man. That's like the primary way I played Hearthfire where like I built a house and adopted like three kids with my orc <laughs> mage. I like mages a lot. And there's so much. What's really brilliant about the design of Skyrim is that there's a way to get the same results in different flavor. So like if you wanted to be a straight up warrior that only used summoned weapons, you can do that. Like Mm. there's a whole tree on conjuration that just summons like ethereal versions of axes and swords. So it's like you're getting the same result through a different way. Same with like, I mean, I think the thing that's unique to magic is the whole destruction side of things where you're, you know, throwing fireballs and stuff. Um, That to me was always less interesting than the other schools of magic. And that's actually, Actually, one of my gripes Skyrim compared to Morrowind and Oblivion is magic was like very tailored down, you know, like, mm, right. There's still a lot of cool stuff. I just after years of playing this game, nearly a decade of playing Skyrim, I just found a spell where I can turn things into gold. Um, the, oh, the right. Yeah. Spell, <laughs> which is like literally just equivalent exchange alchemy. Um, so like it, it is really amazing how you can play this game that's nine years old in the vanilla version and still find new things. You yeah, know? totally. But uh, I... In, in Oblivion, my favorite school of magic was Alteration, because Alteration is, is basically the school of magic of changing things. So you could unlock locks with Alteration. Uh, you could add armor to yourself with Alteration, which you can still do in Skyrim. But w- what I loved in Oblivion was Alteration could also make things way more or less. So Oh, yes. I did this all of the time. You, you yeah, yeah, just, yeah. You could just cast a spell an enemy that made their stuff way too much and they would like ragdoll down because it was too heavy. Yeah. So like they would just be over and covered and then you just beat the shit out of them while they're on the ground. Yeah. Right. So there were some fun things like that. Like there is that with illusion. Like you have spells that can cast like fury or calm or whatever. But what's also neat is that you can also get a lot of shouts that are basically different versions of those spells. So if you're mm-hmm. like, I just want to roll into being the Dovahkiin, not learn any magic, just be like a Nord with the axe, but have the ability to do all that through my shout you can so like I like how Skyrim is like we we know that flavor is half of this so like we're gonna let you get the same result but through a different lens which I always really appreciated yeah yeah wow (laughs) <laughs> but um but yeah i mean i i i think that uh playing now unarmed with lester on stream which is all on youtube by the way it's been a really fun experience and it's also like man it's a lot harder i'll say that <laughs> but yeah also, i like, think i think so watching your streams of oblivion uh, let me start over uh, <laughs> watching your streams of skyrim have really kind of opened my eyes to a new way of playing it i think so first of all i'll just say this much like i I wish that I could play the play Skyrim the way you play Skyrim because you have this like natural like awestruck wonder in the world that I don't have uh, because I think I've like experienced it so much and like 
you still look at it with this like lens of beauty and glory that I, I, I just wish I could like reattain, which I have, I think, through the use of mods on this playthrough specifically. Yeah. Um, but but it is it is fun watching Skyrim through your lens because you're just having like a blast the whole fucking time. Um, I've really enjoyed those streams, but Thanks. I think watching you play as Lester Jr. has has really also opened my eyes to the way combat works and the way combat can work when you're not playing Sneak Archer, um, yeah. which I should mention when we first decided that we were going to do this episode, I did start a two handed like heavy armor build uh, because that's kind of what you had recommended is like, hey, if you're not going to do sneak archer or mage, this is something that you should try out. Uh, and I did start it and I was like not as into it. And I think it's because uh. I hadn't really like locked into the way combat really works. So when I started this new uh, this new character with all these mods that I have, I decided to do one handed weapon, sword and shield, which I weirdly enough have never done before. Um, yeah. Like, it just seems like the most classic it's thing. It's so bread and butter that no one does it kind of thing. Like yeah, everyone I, wants to be a cool assassin, but no one's like, I'm a hero. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, so I, I started yeah. with um, the uh, alternate life mod, which essentially makes it so you don't have to do the like uh, the whole opening of Skyrim where you're like on the cart and you're a prisoner and then the dragon attacks and all that kind of stuff. Uh, you can choose from like, I think, 10 to 20 different like life choices essentially oh that's great it's a cool it's a cool mod it's really cool yeah, yeah. And, and it just like kind of streamlines and simplifies the entire thing and you can at any point go back to helgen which is where all that stuff happens in the like vanilla version of the game and just like inspect the fucked up burned down city and then like start that quest line if you wanted to so it just like leaves it there for you which i actually do want to talk about but I started uh, as an orc who was just camping near Helgen. And it's like you wake up with a start because you hear the sounds of like people screaming and all this stuff happening. And I was just like an orc with just like like regular clothes on at a campsite. And I only had a woodcutter's axe because I uh, it seemed like I had used it to like make the camp that I was sitting at. And I immediately just wandered into Helgen. And as as you've all probably seen before through like the memes and all the videos from literally a decade of this game being out, the game starts with you generally as a prisoner on a thing. Uh, one of the Jarls, what's his name? Ulfric Stormcloak. Yeah. Hey, you finally awake. So uh, anyway, you start on the on the prison cart with him uh, and then essentially what's happening is you're all going to be executed uh, and then a dragon shows up and, you know, just kind of wreaks havoc and you escape with the or sorry, with Ulfric. Um, and, and, you know, you can choose between an Imperial or a Stormcloak to escape with specifically who then like kind of leads you into the main quest. Um, but when you start with this alternate life mod, when you show up in Helgen, you just find a journal who is, or I guess was supposed to be the protagonist who is just burnt to a crisp and oh just, my God. just lying on the ground. And you can like flip through the journal and it's like talking about how they were like trying to sneak across the border into Skyrim to like sell some like wares and stuff. And they were like, maybe I shouldn't have done this without the proper paperwork. And it's like, I got arrested, but they let me keep my journal. I, d I think maybe they just didn't find it. And, uh, and, and, you know, they get burned to a crisp and stuff and you can eventually make your way into the same keep that you would always go into if you were playing. And uh, what are their names? It's uh, Hadvar and who's the other guy? Uh, Starts with an R. Yeah. Uh, Radolf or something? It might be Radolf, yeah. Yeah, um, something like that. The two of them have clearly like been in a fight with one another. Yeah. Like they both met down there in, in the keep. Um, and they're oh, both, cool. And they're both passed out on the ground and you can choose to wake one of them up and like give them a potion to heal and then they take you out and then that's how you start the main quest, which that's I really loved. Fun. So instead of starting this whole thing the way I always have, I pretty much just did the same normal start 
just like with a slightly different flavor to it, which kind of uh, gave me this new um, way of playing this game, which I, I tend to not play RPGs this way, but I was like really rolling into a character. I was like, okay, trying to put yeah. myself into the mind of this person that was having all this stuff happen to them instead of just like putting myself into this person, because I think that Skyrim really is built for you, the person playing to insert yourself into the world and less so to be like, I'm Commander Shepard and I am going to make the choices that I think Commander (laughs) Shepard would make, you know? But Um, ironically, I do think because Skyrim is, other than telling you you're Dovahkiin, it is so hands-off. Like, you could, I said this on the stream, you can literally not progress the main story to the point where dragons never show up and play the game for hundreds of hours. Yeah. Um, But I think it's in those quiet moments and in that hands-off approach that, like, does leave a lot of room for the player to role-play, you know, and to, like, kind of give you give you this precious alone time with the character to figure out like what they're about and you don't have to do that that's something that i often do in rpgs and that's why this game is so successful because like you can ignore all of that if you if you if you just want to run around and get into fights you can yeah every playthrough i've ever had of skyrim i have never leaned into the character that i made i was always just kind of making myself you know but this time as an argonian who is a sneak archer right Um, and myself Right. <laughs> yeah, just me. Yeah. And in this case, I was like, okay, so you're you're an orc who uh, just decided to go camping one day and then like woke up to the sounds of a dragon attacking a nearby town. Um, like, how do you how do you experience this life? Um, and, and that's been like a really interesting question to continue to answer for myself and has kind of allowed for maybe the most like in depth from a narrative perspective experience that I've had so far because all all of this stuff about like becoming the dragonborn and going up to high Hrothgar and like meeting the graybeards and all this stuff like that for some reason has more weight to me now than it ever has before because it was fun the first time when it was like all new and fresh and exciting but now that I'm trying to create this character as if it was a D&D game or whatever I'm having a lot more fun than I thought I was going to have. Yeah. Um, you know, cause I'm playing this game in, in the antithetical way that to how I normally would and how I, you know, I, I think would feel the most comfortable playing it, which it has in turn allowed me to see more of it faster and, and with fresh eyes. So like playing with the sword and shield, or in this case, a mace and a shield um, has been really fun. I built a house, which I have never done before. Um, I have a different follower who is not Lydia for the first time ever. I, I am wearing heavy armor, which I've never experienced before. And a lot of this is aided by the fact that I do have a bunch of mods that are like helping me along the way. So like I have mods, uh, it's worth mentioning. So there, the special edition exists on PS4 and Xbox um, and also on PC. On PC, you know, you can install whatever mods you want. But on PS4 and Xbox, there are two weird things. Uh, on the PS4 version, you can't download any graphics assets, which means that like anything that would improve like textures, like replacing the textures in uh, on, on trees or something, you can't do that on PS4. So all the PS4 mods are like you can jump twice as high or like you level up twice as fast or things like that. Um, or like rearranging assets that already exist. So like adding lampposts to the roads or whatever. But on the Xbox, you can download kind of whatever you want, which just means that like I have downloaded a bunch of like texture packs and and kind of like graphics enhancement stuff, um, which just makes the game, you know, not look great. It doesn't look good, I think, you know, by I think today's modern standards, but definitely looks a lot better than the vanilla game um, and kind of feels almost like a Final Fantasy VII remake version of (laughs) Skyrim in a way where it's like, this is how my brain saw it when it came out in 2011 uh, is kind of where I've gotten it to. Um, And because it's on the Xbox Series S and that thing is so powerful, it still runs really, really well. Whereas I think downloading all of this stuff on the Xbox One 
one would be like a nightmare. So that's been I really still fun. think a lot of the designs of the like the outdoors and the dungeon stuff I think are still pretty beautiful, but like it's the textures and most of the like people that don't look great. Like yeah, the the, yeah. the animations and like the models of the citizens of Skyrim don't yeah. look as good as the trees or the or the caves. But I think even in, in my like pre-mod vanilla character that I was making as the two-handed person, I I still found myself having these like kind of breathtaking awestruck moments of beauty when just kind of wandering around the world. You know, sometimes it'll be nighttime and raining and then, you know, as the sun starts to rise and the rain goes away and and the sky turns like like a nice like pink to orange gradient or whatever uh, and some birds fly overhead, you know, and, and you can see like lens flare and shit. I mean, it really works still in a way I wasn't yeah. expecting. Like this game super holds up, even if you were just playing the vanilla version, which like if you're out there and you've never played this game and you have a switch, for example, like pick it up and play it. It still oh, is great. Yeah. I mean, and that's something that I talked a little bit about when we were talking about Ghost of Tsushima, which I really loved and I think does do a couple things from Skyrim very well. Mm. But like in Ghost of Tsushima, you cannot ride your horse for 10 seconds without finding another group of Mongolians or something kind of calling at you. Whereas like in Skyrim, there are like minutes at a time where there's actually nothing happening. And I find that so important. And it's so like just getting a moment to actually remember what your surroundings are and like take a breath you know exiting a dungeon and be like oh i'm out I'm, i did it yes it's good. you know totally. that's such a great feeling i think in terms of like this kind of being the end of an era i feel like you know talking about this maybe alongside fallout 4 which like that was the next big game and everyone was kind of waiting for like okay if if this is the follow-up to oblivion what's the follow-up to fallout 3 gonna be right i got fallout 4 well after the hype i got it in 2016 you know and, and enjoyed it for what it was worth but had some major issues with it but it 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 by no means had this kind of effect. You know, and I think yeah. it was because, like, I think Fallout for one is a very different game than The Elder Scrolls. I think it actually shares more in common with Bioware than it does with Bethesda, weirdly. Mm. Yeah, I agree with you. You know, where it's a lot about, like, uh, decisions and repercussions and morality and all that kind of stuff. Whereas, like, Skyrim is, like, you know, more Dragon's Dogma, where it's like, just do whatever, man. I don't care. Yeah. I already wrote the campaign. Have fun. <laughs> um, so. Fallout 4 just felt a little bit let like you you can definitely see how they streamline elements of the RPG-ness from Oblivion to Skyrim but like you really like it feels like a washcloth that was like rinsed out of all its water in four where it's like oh I'm just shooting people in this game that's all it is you know all the speech all that is just asking for more caps and it's basically (laughs) Borderlands you know like yeah which gets back into a thing that I, I don't think we've talked about in a long time, but my, my main issue with Fallout versus Elder Scrolls, just like as franchises that Bethesda makes, is just like, I don't like being in the world of Fallout. I love right, a right. lot of the gameplay and the mechanics of those games, but I find the world to be so like dour and sad. And I know it's supposed to be, but they've almost like done too good a job. Yeah, making, it's like making a, the environment a place that I don't want to live in. Right. It's like Outer Wilds being too good at making you disoriented, like physically. Right. And and I think that's one of the kind of big things about Skyrim is like they really nail this like kind of wintry mountainous area, which I oh think God. is like one of the reasons maybe that you and I like Oblivion more is that like uh, uh, the area in in Oblivion. What is it? Is it Cyrodiil or Tamriel? Tamriel is the whole place. Cyrodiil is where you're spending your time in Oblivion, right? Correct. Yes. Okay, good. Um, <laughs> so I was debating if I should do Professor Oak like that's well done. You know, something. <laughs> well, you did both. Um, so we're good. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, Tamriel's the whole continent. It's like mostly a panacea, but anyway, yeah. Yeah, Cyrodiil is where Oblivion is. Cyrodiil being the centerpiece of the entire world of Tamriel means that you're getting different flavors of all of it, right? As you just mentioned, like Bruma is so far to the north that it's like basically bordering Skyrim, which means you're kind of getting a little bit of the Skyrim experience in Cyrodiil. Um, and as you kind of poke at the edges of Oblivion, you're getting this whole landscape of different kinds of fantasy worlds and different kind of fantasy environments. And I think that's why that game, I, I think, holds such a special place in my heart and my head um, is because it really is like, where do you want to spend your time? What kind of fantasy setting do you want? Oblivion has all of it in there, whereas Skyrim like does a pretty good job of just being uh, mountainous and wintry. And there are some areas, I think, where that kind of um, where they kind of get away from that, which I, I do want to talk about, like Rift in, for example, I think is a really interesting area that doesn't feel very Skyrim-y, but like a place like Solitude or Winterhold is like exactly what you would expect uh, from from a Skyrim area. You see, I, you disagree. I, I agree and I disagree. I think you're right that in Oblivion, the edges of the edges of the map really poke at like what the neighboring province is like. So like Shadenhall yeah. is very Morrowind. Bruma is very Skyrim. You got like uh, Leowin and Bravil like right at the edges of Black Marsh and stuff. Yeah. But it really is just the edges. If you don't fast travel on Oblivion, it's a lot of the same forest for like 90% of the middle of the mm -hmm. map. So I think you're right that like, yes, the city states and the edges of the map have this kind of like sampler platter of fantasy, but like it's, it's pretty like boring outside of that. You know, if you were just to walk around, whereas Skyrim, it's much more feasible to travel on foot. And I do agree that like it is largely Conan winter, but I think like having played it recently and having use fast travel very little it is kind of amazing the variety that is within that like you said you know in Riften and in the southern parts it's much more swampy and kind of melted there are some really interesting areas to the west near uh near Markarth where there's like yeah. geysers and mm -hmm. like uh you know just sort of like mountains and then not to mention the whole fucking underground Dweemer stuff which is like yeah. as big as the map which is incredible um <laughs> and then it gets like real snowy in the north but I know what you mean I think that like it's all kind of in the same palette, whereas Oblivion is much more of like a rainbow of fantasy. Yeah. Um, and if you, if you look at Skyrim and, and its place in when video games uh, or, or what other video games were coming out around that time, like it was still in that realm of kind of like the coffee filter Call of Duty Modern Warfare like era of video game uh, environment design, you know, so like. The game is mainly palettes of like browns and grays uh, and with like hints of green when you're in forests and stuff. That's not to say that the game can't be like beautiful and colorful and vibrant because it can be at times. Um, yeah. But I would say a lot of that game is just like a, a muted color palette. Um, yeah, it's definitely unsaturated. And I yeah. think that like, I, I guess the, my major pushback was like, I think that the map overall is a major step up from Oblivion. Because like Oblivion, you're going to see the same cave over and over again. That's, I think, and, one of the biggest know, points that I was yeah. going to make is is I think, you know, for all of the things I love about Oblivion, the, the exploration of caves in that game is like really very much just like cut and paste different rooms from different caves in a different order. Uh, yeah. Whereas Skyrim, there's so much emphasis on making every cave its own experience and having its own little mini storyline. Um, and, you know, some quests will take you into caves, but also if you find them before you get the quest, uh, you'll have like a completely different experience. So it really is about like how and when you interact and, and explore those things, which is so fun and is so cool. 
Um, I've been honestly, a lot of this playthrough has been me also not fast traveling the same way you haven't been fast traveling, but not fast traveling from point A to point B, you know, setting saying like, okay, I'm going to go over to this city and then just exploring every cave on my way there, which means I've only seen like three of the cities total in this playthrough uh, because I've spent all of my time in caves, uh, which like normally I think would seem really boring and, and repetitive and redundant, but is actually kind of like the meat of this game in a lot of instances. That's not to say there aren't fun quests to do above ground, but there's so much to explore underground in this game. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I just quick addendum to the oblivion thing. I do. I did just get a vivid memory of us playing Lester senior, just jogging topless in like a Lisa Frank forest. So I'm yeah. like, there's definitely a lot of great st- and there's like unicorns and shit. Like, yeah, I feel like uh, that's one thing I'll give oblivion to is the, the enemy variety in oblivion is much better than Skyrim and Skyrim. Eventually it's okay. Am I fighting bandits, Draugr, dragons, or like Spriggans? And like, that's it basically. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It doesn't ever, it doesn't feel dry until you're like very, you know, out hundreds of hours in. Right. But, you know, I do respect Oblivion. It's been like, yeah, there's fucking goblins. There's unicorns. It doesn't <laughs> matter. You know, yeah. not to mention the weird, like little imps from the Daedric realms that I love. Yeah, uh, they're great. Yeah, very, very cool. Um, but yeah, man, I think I think you're right that like Skyrim's focus is really in the the dungeon design. And like, whereas sometimes it's it feels like there was one person in the room who really wanted to make puzzles and everyone was like, fine, you get three, you know, yeah. like because it's like most caves are like okay there might be like branching paths might be secrets to find but it's usually like you pull a lever and the gate opens but every now and then there's like a journal and it's like there are three moons that never wink it's like what and then, yeah, it's, <laughs> you know there's like a puzzle like why did i have to do that suddenly but just talking about the the impact that this game has had on like every other game going forwards when breath of the wild was in development one of the first things that Aonuma said who is the who's the director of breath of the wild he said i'm, I'm making a legend of zelda game that's inspired by the elder scrolls 5 skyrim and Everybody yeah. lost their minds when they read that. I mean, that was like a yeah. huge reveal because it was like, what on earth could this game end up being? Uh, and when you look at the shrines and the way the shrines in that game are mm-hmm. are, uh, are designed, it feels a lot like Ionuma also loved the three uh, caves that that puzzle guy made in Skyrim and was yeah, like, I'm going to make like, a whole game of that. <laughs> exactly. And I think Skyrim is, I mean, uh, uh, Breath of the Wild obviously is like, probably the modern day equivalent of Skyrim in terms I of like, so here's, here's the new blueprint of an open world RPG. Um, and obviously in Breath of the Wild, you're Link, but Link is also kind of a blank enough character that you can put your own spin on him, you know, mm-hmm. and, and you could... I mean, the the variety of different outfits in that game and, and everything, like, it still felt like you can kind of put yourself in Link's shoes the way right. you always have, but, like, in a much more open setting. Hey, if you want to hear our thoughts on Breath of the Wild, we got a bonus episode <laughs> with our friend Sadie from last March. But, yeah, I, uh, I think that, like, as much as I think... Breath of the Wild is the new Skyrim in terms of impact. We've, we've talked about that a lot. And that's actually one of the reasons we wanted to go back is like, okay, but how does Skyrim feel now that there is like a new chapter in this kind of genre? Yeah. And it's still great. It's still like the, the thing that it still does so well is that kind of half-baked open tabletop vibe that they've definitely moved away from. And I hope they move back to in whatever they do next. Yeah, the the idea of an Elder Scrolls Six being in development right now is like exhilarating and nerve-wracking simultaneously. Um, it is, yeah. I, I think, honestly, I, I think it would probably be hard to be a higher up at Bethesda right now and, and not 
know that like there's a lot of pressure on Elder Scrolls 6 to kind of like return be a return to form a little bit um I mean Starfield is a game that's in development right now Starfield is their like kind of Star Trek inspired uh, open world space RPG that is supposed to be like the third pillar compared to Fallout and Elder Scrolls and Starfield is going to be like the next franchise that they're launching um with like a similar inspiration and vibe and and I think that you know that that has the potential to be incredible but also you know, this is the same developer that made Fallout 4, which I think was disappointing in a lot of ways to a lot of people. And and also Fallout 76, which was like kind of a disaster when it dropped. Yeah. And I think uh, made a lot of people kind of upset uh, at, at or not upset, but just kind of like bummed out and wary about Bethesda in a way that they wouldn't have been, you know, post Skyrim. Because when Skyrim came out, it was like. Yeah, so there's this weird save file bug, and also there's a bunch of like really weird open world glitches that happen. But uh, as we were mentioning before, it was the kind of bug, or it was the kind of like bug situation where you couldn't help but be charmed by it. Like you loved seeing the bugs, you know, when it, yeah. when a guy is like standing next to a fire in an inn and then like slides across the entire environment to sit down in a chair. Um, <laughs> instead of like walking or moving or turning or saying anything, uh, it, it's hilarious every single time. And you, you kind of don't even care that it's like ripping you out of the immersion of the game. Yeah. Um, it, it harkens back to this sort of like middle school theater production of oblivion that makes it so charming. Yeah, you know? like, exactly. Yeah. I, I totally agree. And I think like, I'll say this about Fallout 76. I haven't played it. I know you tried and like could not even find the fun like with a lot of salts, you know? Like Yeah. Yeah, I um, it was it was like a free two week experience for Fallout 76. Uh and I started play I made a character. I I got out of the vault and I started playing it and I played about like 3 hours before I needed to uninstall it for my PS4. Uh which yeah. I was really bummed about cuz like I really would love to like Fallout on the same level as Elder Scrolls. Like I I know there is something there for me and I've played enough Fallout 3 and new vegas and four to know that like eventually they're gonna get it right and i'm gonna love that franchise but like for now it's just not working for me and 76 being a place that's like this is right after you know this is like you're the first people coming out of the vaults like ever after whatever the nuclear war was or whatever and and the the environment has been like completely reclaimed by nature is like oh man maybe i might get my kind of like bright vibrant world uh meets fallout thing so i get everything i loved about elder scrolls plus everything i like about fallout and it ended up not being the case at all which is <laughs> yeah i mean i'll say that like at the very very least it was something they hadn't tried before you yeah, know totally. so like i'm willing to hope that they can kind of redeem themselves because like as much as i didn't like fallout 4 as much it was still a fun game like it wasn't like terrible it just yeah. was kind of it was missing the mark in a way that might be hard to explain while you're playing it mm-hmm. um the same way like like Fallout 4 feels like how most movie sequels feel where it's like, okay, this is more of the thing I liked, but it's like missing that spark or missing like that little, yeah. uh, it's a little design know, by committee kind of vibes, you know, yeah, it's like, okay, what did people like about the last one? Let's just do more of that. And it's like, well, Right. You're missing a lot of the weird stuff that people bump up against, but like, you know, totally. Yeah. And I mean, I think it, it definitely played the best of any fallout game, like the actual gunplay and stuff was a lot of fun, but I I think I said this before, but it kind of had this identity crisis of being like, is this a borderlands shoot and loot game? Is this a Bioware game? Uh, Weirdly, the thing I liked the most about that game were all the companions and their stories that you could like, like, Nick Valentine, the synth detective is like incredible. Yeah. Unbelievable. 
whole storyline. Um, yeah. But then they all kind of just stop and it's like, okay, well, why did I do that then? And then there's like, they're like, hey, did you want to play Minecraft in like 80 different villages that you had to protect? And it's like, this is yeah. not what I wanted. Yeah, Fallout 4, weirdly enough, is the only Bethesda game ever where I've done the whole main quest because I just thought it was the most interesting thing and everything else wasn't really enticing to me. I just did the whole yeah. main quest and then I stopped playing that game. Um, right. Whereas... It's weird because like I'm almost disappointed that that's a game that I like put down because I finished it. You know, like I put it down because I finished the main quest. I was like, all right, well, that's enough Fallout 4 for me. Whereas every other Bethesda game that I love, Oblivion and and Skyrim uh, included, are games where like I just play them kind of forever and then eventually fizzle out and like it fades out of my life uh, and then eventually will fade back in almost like like tides coming in and out. Yeah, it's very uh, it's very nautical for sure. Um, (laughs) And I think it's because uh, this goes back to this sort of role-playing side of things where like you know in oblivion and in skyrim there's the hands-off approach of like you're filling in the blank here you know whoever Mm -hmm. you want to be you can be oblivion i think does that even better by making you like the guide to the chosen hero instead of the chosen hero yeah because you can be like yeah i helped that guy out but i'm also like the leader of the dark brotherhood so watch out um (laughs) Whereas in Skyrim, I think we've always joked about how you can be the leader of everything. And they're like, watch where you're going, milk blood or whatever they call you. Like, (laughs) you know. Yeah. Milk drinker. But in four, the four really struggled with who the protagonist was because they wanted to let you do anything. But because it was voice acted inherent, and I don't know if it's because, but like if you're going to voice act the protagonist, you're going to have less dialogue options. And so the dialogue felt very like, are you sarcastic or not in this moment? They forced you into caring about your son, um, which like, you know, is a basic enough thing that you'll probably be interested as a player to see what happened to your family. But like the game doesn't let you not, do anything else like you eventually have to be like where's my son that's all i care about you know yeah there's also like the weird narrative dissonance of like you have this whole horrifying opening where your son gets like ripped from your arms and stuff and then you wake up and it's like yeah i'm gonna go join the brotherhood of steel and like fuck around with them for a little bit and then i'm gonna go like learn to farm uh and then i'm gonna go be a detective (laughs) for a little while um and and eventually maybe i'll go find my son but like also maybe not who knows? Yeah. It just felt like a lot of a lot of potentially good ideas that didn't mesh well together. Yeah. Um, Whereas Skyrim is all good ideas all the time. I mean, sometimes not. But again, it's it's the direction that lets you do whatever. And it feels in a way that's like, OK, that's I, I'm never forced to do something that my character wouldn't do. You yeah. know what I mean, weirdly enough, a, a small microcosm I'm thinking of actually uh, of like so Fallout 4 compared to Fallout 3, right, is like a lot of people liked Fallout 3 a lot. It didn't work for me as well as uh, as Oblivion or Skyrim did. But like I, I have to recognize that a lot of people really liked what Fallout totally. 3 brought to the table. Fallout 4 being like, okay, we're going to give you more of what you liked in Fallout 3 and like somehow kind of stumbling at the finish line with that game. Weirdly to me feels like the Dark Brotherhood in Oblivion to Skyrim. It's like like the Dark Brotherhood quest line in Skyrim is like a little microcosm of what ended up happening to all of Fallout 4. No, where, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> You're exactly right. Yeah. Which like, you know, I the Dark Brotherhood quest in Oblivion is unbelievable. It's 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 like easily maybe the best quest line in the whole game. Um, and there's a reason that so many people just like gravitate towards that whenever they talk about that game and in skyrim it's not bad but it definitely doesn't reach even close to the same highs there's one uh mini quest in particular in the dark brotherhood quest line where you're like on a ship and you have to kill an emperor that 
rules. I mean, it is yeah. like one of That's the high points moment. of Skyrim, yeah. like easily. But outside of that, it's a lot about like the internal. Po- it almost feels like the prequels, like the Star Wars prequels. <laughs> it's a lot about like the internal politics of the Dark Brotherhood, and like yeah. there's a what it's we just, do in the shadows uh, episode where like the the ultimate vampire lord like shows up at their house and they're all like really nervous about him showing up and like trying to kill all of them and like that's weirdly what's going on in the dark brotherhood quest line in skyrim where like the night mother shows up like in her actual coffin um except it's played like completely straight and is not a goof at all (laughs) (laughs) yeah it could have used a little bit more satire but the thing that made like i mean i think you're right the the dark brotherhood and oblivion i would argue is like one of the best bethesda quest lines like of all time honestly like there's a a small spoiler for the oblivion dark brotherhood but i think the moment (laughs) that stands out to me is like you join this group of assassins and like they're all kind of campy and fun in their own way there's like an old vampire there's an orc who's like yeah i just show up and hit him with a hammer that's like i don't sneak around at all yeah <laughs> um there are two argonian siblings that like you learn that like to become an assassin in black marsh is like not quite as frowned upon is that this kind of like a place for it there and their mm-hmm. in their hierarchy which is kind of interesting not that like i'm condoning murder in this in this segment but like <laughs> in the game as you're kind of role playing as an assassin like you do form a kind of bond with them, you know? Okay. Like these people are cool. And a lot of your targets are kind of shitty, you know, like a lot of the targets are like, Oh, this is like shitty guard who like, you know, is, is like too zealous and whatever. So like, as you uh, condition yourself to doing something that feels horrific in the game, you start to kind of, at least I did in my character, I started to kind of justify it. And then they're like, okay, there's a rat in your group. You have to kill everyone in that, in that chapter. Of right. The Dark yeah. You, you spend like 20 hours of the game, like forming this familial bond with a bunch of assassins. Yeah. Uh, and then, and then you have to slaughter all of them maybe. And the, it's the game reminding you like, no, you are a cold blooded evil assassin. Yes. And now you have to like, and it's, it's really, and then the twists and turns the story takes after that are like just incredible. But I, I gasped when that happened and I was like, oh my God. Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> I think the other standout quest which I always bring up is the like clue quest where you go to this house party. Yeah. And it's like all these kind of like wealthy aristocrats like, oh, we're playing a game or like there's a it's like an escape room. Basically, they're like, there's a locked treasure in this house and we have to find the key and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And your mission is to like pick them off one at a time and never have them suspect you. Like you can just kill all of them, but you won't get the like bonus reward. But what's really fun is like convincing them someone else did it or like. You know, it, it's and of or course, just like find, finding the like discreet ways in which you can kill them, you know, like, yeah, like, OK, I'm going to replace this apple with a poison apple and things like that. Yeah, of course, you're like an Argonian in like a Palpatine robe with like a <laughs> dagger that is emitting like a frost smoke. But they're like, I trust you. It's the guard, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's the kid. The, I, the kid did I it. I think the reason that quest stands out so much is because it, it like really does force you to role play. You know, it forces you to play the game mechanically right. like an assassin. Whereas in Skyrim, you can kind of just show up in your heavy armor and like use Fustroda and, and, you know, do it. Yeah. They almost they almost try and force the familial thing onto you in, in the Dark Brotherhood questline in Skyrim. Yeah. Where like you show up and they're all like, hey, we're all buds already. Isn't this great? Oh, you're one of us now. Let's all hang out and, uh, you know, go out on our fun, cool quests. Um, and, and like the place almost like feels like a home in a way, even though it's, you know, in like a weird cave, like a weird mossy cave. Uh, It kind of feels uh, more homey. 
Um, they, they like try and lull you into that sense of, uh, of, uh, bonding with everybody too quickly in a way. Like it, do- it doesn't feel earned, you know? Yeah. Um, it's like you're being upset, accepted into like a ragtag group. Right. And I, I totally agree. Um, I do like the guy who gives you missions though. Cause he always ends with like, I bet he's dying to meet you. And that's yes. where it feels like it's okay. They're a little bit doing a, what we do in the shadows vibe here. Yeah. 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 It feels a little like haunted mansion. Yeah. A lot of the, a lot of the faction, I think the main quest in Skyrim is better than the main quest in oblivion but a lot of the faction quests aren't quite as strong the companions is like fun at first but then just sort of ends you yeah. know uh the mages school is okay the thieves guild is great that is i think the thieves the dark guild brotherhood. Is the high point. yeah yeah that's the dark brotherhood of skyrim we're like and, and there's incentive to keep doing the thief quests after to like rebuild the hideout and stuff mm-hmm. and it's like very like uncharted like you go into this cave and like you know, you get betrayed and the guy takes the jewel out of the thing and the room fills with water. Like, it's very fun in that way. Yeah. Um, and oh, you get God. the Nightingale armor, which is like Batman. Yeah. Just, you're Batman. And at the end of it, you get the skeleton key, which is a lock pick that can unlock any lock in the whole game, which yeah. uh, is like there are there are two quests that I do pretty much on every playthrough. I haven't on this one yet, but uh, in pretty much every playthrough, I'll always do the Thieves Guild quest first to get the skeleton key just to like get it out of the way because I think it's a great item. And then another one that I want to talk about later, which is the Black Star. Um, oh, yeah. Azura Star. Yeah. yeah. Which is just an unbelievable quest. But uh, oh, and the Daedra quest, too, are incredible, which I think we'll probably get into in the next segment. Yeah, um, definitely. But. Uh, but yeah, the Thieves Guild quest is, is incredible. I mean, that yeah, that really does do everything that you wanted the Dark Brotherhood quest line to do in this game. Um, even even in the way you join, you know, is this like very like seedy area in Riften and you have to like go through this just horrible, horrible cave system and like the prison sewer system. Yeah, the rat ways to get to the thieves den in the first place. And then as soon as you get there, they're like, Oh yeah, there's another entrance that you could have just come through the whole time. <laughs> you meet Jason Statham is like, stick with me and they'll never know you there. Yeah. It's like so good. Uh, there's the, the whole, the whole quest or the whole like plot line where you're going to the uh, mead brewery and you have to burn the whole place down on your way out. Oh my God. That whole quest line is awesome. It's really good. And then you meet the nightingales who worship the Daedric Prince of uh, like night and thievery. Yeah. Nocturne. Uh, uh it's great yeah it's great that that whole quest line rules it's really good um yeah but i i agree with you i know i know what you're talking about like some some of the some of the uh guilds that you can join just like don't really hit the same highs that they kind of did in oblivion because i feel like in in oblivion for some reason they feel more separated from everything else or sorry sorry sorry, sorry. in skyrim they feel more separated from everything else whereas in oblivion it does feel like those things are happening in the world um, yeah skyrim totally. feels like they're really trying to rip those storylines out and like tell their own little like side uh side story separate from everything else is happening in Skyrim. Whereas oblivion, like when you're, when you're like the champion of, uh, of the like Coliseum of fighters or whatever, uh, so good in oblivion, like when you walk out of that place and you're still just in a city, it's like, Oh my God, I can't believe I just spent like three nights in, in combat, you know? Um, yeah, it, it feels really cool to like walk out of that place and still be there. Whereas when you leave like the thieves den in Skyrim, even, you know, you're like outside of Riften, you know, and you're just like, all right, well, I guess I'm back here. Oh, there's a dragon attacking. All right. Well, I guess it's back to this. You know what? It almost feels like there was such a strong because we talked about how like the best part of Skyrim is like just exploring and the dungeons and caves and such. It's like that's where the meat of the game happens and where yeah. you're going to write your own story. 
And it's as if the faction quest exists if you like, like, oh, do you need a little bit of creative inspiration? Here are these like mm-hmm. modules we made for you if you like yeah. need a little bit of guidance. Whereas in Oblivion, it's not quite as fun to just explore. I mean, it kind of is. You can find a unicorn, but um, <laughs> just exploring caves might get old pretty quickly. So like the meat of that game is all the side stuff, you know, right. because you are this sort of neutral presence that like, you know. Uh, Patrick Stewart trusted to give this necklace that I have never given to Joffrey. Yeah, uh, I did once, and then that's where I stopped. I was like, "Well, you got the necklace. See ya." <laughs> it just—it feels like it's also. I think all the quests are a little bit slower in Oblivion because, like, you really got to prove your worth in that game. You mm-hmm. know, like you got the gla- the gladiator is probably the quickest, and even that is like a pretty like that's what we did mostly with our our punch lizard Lester. Uh, which is so much fun uh but even like there's a companion the fighters guild is like the companions parallel in oblivion and that like starts off really basic and becomes like a really cool story once you get to befriend the dark elf who's in charge and Mm -hmm. like there's the rival guild that are all like hallucinating on missions and you end up killing the farm and you see all the ghosts of the farmers that you thought were goblins like (laughs) crazy like the companions gets close when you learn they're all werewolves which is kind of fun but like being a werewolf isn't nearly as exciting as it should be it's like more of a chore than anything yeah i did appreciate that the dlc which is incredible uh the dawn guard dlc where you fight vampires or you can be a vampire they added like a whole skill tree to werewolf and vampire um oh i didn't this know that back in like the true blood days where this was like ooh, cool i could be a vampire oh that's great um, I actually, yeah, my, it, my main, like, main, main Oblivion playthrough, I played as a vampire yeah. and had the best time as a vampire it's in that fun. game and did not enjoy it at all in Skyrim. I was like, oh, I'm just going to, like, make my Oblivion character again in Skyrim and had, like, the worst time. In Oblivion, it's like, it's like a serious trade-off of power. Yeah, Because like, you, you can really, like, you are incredible. Like, your athletics improve, your acrobatics improve. You can just jump straight up and take yeah. no damage. But you, like, have to operate at nighttime, which goes back to the role-playing. Whereas in Skyrim, like, yeah, the vampire lord is like, you're like a magic werewolf, basically. Yeah. Um, that being said, the Dawnguard story of like, especially if you're a vampire hunter, which I've been doing with Lester Jr., you go to so many cool locations. Like you go to the realm where all souls go when they're put into soul gems and like amazing. Oh, that's really and, cool. Yeah, I've never done that dra- quest line. The Dragonborn DLC takes you to Morrowind. So like that's where they like kind of tease at like what future games could look like because mm-hmm. you're in like a very different setting. It's still Skyrim E, but there's like mushroom houses and stuff because yeah. like you're on you're right on the border of Morrowind and Skyrim. I really want to play, going back to Oblivion, I really want to play the Shivering Isles DLC where you're in the realm of madness. Um, have you I never done it? it now I've never done it. I've oh, like it's watched. incredible yeah I, I, I should do that um, yeah I have it. I have oblivion on my series s so I will definitely get to that and it, I think I got shivering Isles for like a dollar yeah um, if I could tell my 16 year old self like one day you're gonna buy shivering Isles for a dollar on your new <laughs> xbox that doesn't scream when you turn it on yeah but yeah, man, I have such a soft spot in my heart for Elder Scrolls. I mean, we, there's so much also like lore to these games that is like almost barely explored by the games themselves. Yeah. Like it's a really fascinating fantasy world that like is one of the more interesting takes like 
in this sort of like realm of like Tolkien inspired fantasy, the the Daedra and the Aedra and like all the different races, like the Khajiit, like even just having the ability to play as a Khajiit, like separates this from like 90% of fantasy games. Or if you <laughs> just be a tiger, whatever. Yeah. Incredible. It's, I think Skyrim is still an incredible game. I think it's that perfect balance of like, you can pick this up without any prior knowledge of WRPGs and, and maybe discover that you like them. Uh, or you could play this more like a Ubisoft game, you know, and just sort of like run around and do checklisty stuff and not even think about like who you are or why are you doing this. Yeah. You know, it lets you do both, which is yeah, important. Yeah, I, I found that in previous playthroughs, I tend to spend a lot of time just like going through the quest log and just like doing all the quests and in this one i have not really at all i've just been exploring and unveiling things on the map one of one of my favorite things weirdly about this game is like if you if you learn of a place by like hearing about it from someone else or reading about it in a book or something it'll show up on your map but outside of that they're not unveiling any of the icons on the map unless you actually show up there like you have to actually like go to and discover a place to have it show up on your map from that point on but that said when you're in the world you can see the icons of what's around you so you kind of have like a like a good uh instinct of like okay so there's a there's a temple over there there's a cave over here there's a yeah. little tiny village over here uh there's like a one of the um lord stones is over here and like you can go check them all out and add them to your map if you want to or you could just keep beelining it to wherever you're going but it really kind of aids this idea of uh kind of embedding yourself in the world and exploring it um to to know that there's stuff around you kind of like intuit that stuff is there, but not actually really know what it is until you show up. It, it's a nice halfway point, weirdly, between like what Breath of the Wild did and what like a, an Assassin's Creed game does, you know, like or, or Horizon Zero Dawn, for example, you go to the top of a tower and you get to see all the icons on the map so you can like choose what to do. Um, or Ghost of Tsushima even has kind of that same aspect to it. This game just like not letting you see all that stuff very easily unless you show up there i think is really nice the really nice balance and kind of something that i wish more games would do and and in experiencing it now and experiencing the the decade of open world games that have come after this game it was kind of wild to go back and play this and be like this might be the best version of this still somehow i totally agree yeah i i absolutely agree it is a good middle ground and the fact that like you can see like in oblivion you can fast travel right away to all the different city states yeah in this game you can see the town like on the map like they're blacked out but you can't fast travel there until you go there or hire a carriage there right. you know yeah. and like even then if you hire a carriage you can fast travel to that city now but there's all the stuff around you um yeah. and i think what's also worth pointing out is that the map is really big but it's not overwhelming like yeah I it's smaller walked... than i think it is in a lot of instances exactly it feels big because of all the variety and all the like things you could do but if you walk from i walked from white run to rifton and I stopped like a couple times to do like dungeons and it took me, I think two hours. Um, mm. So I think if you just like, if you just walked from one side of the map to the other, I think you could do it in like two hours, honestly, yeah. or less. Probably. Yeah. I think it would probably take around that long, which again is huge. And, like, I don't want to underplay how big this game is, but I think since Skyrim, there's been this, like, it seems like the lesson some people took is like, make it as big as possible. And it's like, cause that was the big marketing point for Skyrim. Yeah. That, that was kind of the beginning of that. Like, this is the biggest open world game ever. And people were comparing it to uh grand theft auto four. I think it was, it was like, yeah, compared to Liberty city, Skyrim is like four times as big. And that was, that was exciting at that point. You know, that was yeah. like an exhilarating idea. 
But there was also the fear already in 2011, there was already the fear of like, well, in Oblivion, a lot of that space was like copy pasted uh, right. uh, forests and like a lot of empty land with nothing going on there. But in Skyrim, they, there was such an emphasis on making sure there were things to do all over the place. Um, and like the the kind of like trope of if you see that mountain, you can go to it um, and there's something to do there when you go to it they really like made good on that promise. Like it, there are a few games I think that are that hyped on that level and like meet all of the demands, you know, of the player base. Um, and like, I think hit every checkbox that everybody wants. And it's like Skyrim fucking nailed it. And also yeah. as you were just saying, kind of became uh, a, an entry point for a lot of people. I think one of the, one of the things that strikes me the most about this game, especially because I went back and played a little bit of oblivion recently, just to like kind of compare and contrast a little bit. One of the things about Oblivion that I find just like imparsable still having played that game for over 10 years now is the UI is just a nightmare in that game. Oh, yeah. It just looks it's definitely made for PC and it, even yeah. still. Yeah. It looks awful. Like it just looks really bad. It's it's like really hard to navigate. It's, it's hard to know like what a lot of the icons mean and things without like actually going through and pressing all the buttons and trying them all. And the UI in Skyrim is so streamlined. It it's manages incredible. to be completely minimal and still have a little bit of flair of this like Nordic fantasy vibe to it. Um, just like little kind of bits and pieces of symbology here and there that just kind of like help to make the thing not just feel like clean lines and Helvetica, you know, but like <laughs> at the end of the day, that really is what it is. I, it's not, it's not Helvetica. I forget what the font is. I used to know and I don't anymore. Might be uh, web dings three. It's, it's yeah, it's web dings. Weirdly, all the dragon language on the pedestals, <laughs> we get the words of power. It's all web dings. <laughs> Fun fact. I, I even when you like press, uh, I, we're both playing on an Xbox. If you press B or if you're on, I guess, PS4 or whatever, it's circle. But when you press that button, it brings up the menu. You just have, you know, four directions you can go in. Up is for your skills and you look up at the sky and, and, and the constellations are your skill trees, which is great. Down, I think, is the map, right? It is. So you're like looking down at the map that you're pulling out hypothetically is the idea when you go yeah. to the right it's all your items and everything in your inventory when you go to your left it's all your magic and shouts and things like that and it's like just so easy to parse all of that it, it's and incredible. then they take it yeah. one step further and they just add this like hotkey idea that they had in oblivion there were hotkeys in oblivion but like they brought up all these weird radial menus and there were like all these <laughs> it was really weird and bizarre and hard to kind of parse how to use yeah. it and why to use it even Whereas in in Skyrim, it's like as easy as you press a button and you add it to your favorites. So whenever you're out in the world, you can press up on the D-pad and you just have all your favorites there. And yeah. that can be anything that could be items that can be weapons that could be powers and magic and things like that. And you can very easily when in your favorites bar, like press left trigger on something. It's like, OK, now you're equipping that to your left hand and you're equipping this to your right hand. It's so easy that like it just makes this game a perfect entry point for somebody who's never played a game like this before. Totally. Like, it, it, it's no question to me why this was such a big hit for everyone when it came out. It's weird that it was hyped up as that. Yeah. But like when you get your hands on it, it's very obvious why it became that. Totally. I And I think it's like you're doing all the same like intense RPG stuff too. You're still favoriting like the spell that can turn silver into gold. Right. You know? yeah. Like I think what, what I was going to say about the map that's kind of amazing is like the map is literally the entire map of the game, but zoomed out. So you can mm -hmm. even sometimes see dragons flying around like at certain mountains and stuff. Wow. Which is like I've incredible. never once noticed that. Yeah, it's it's real. And that's the thing. It's like this game is a decade old and you can still 
learn new stuff about it. Yeah. Um, and it's smaller than Oblivion. Going back to the point, it's like the map is smaller than Oblivion. The biggest, hey, gamers, the biggest Elder Scrolls game is Daggerfall. That's right, the second one. And no <laughs> one gives a shit because it's, it's all copied and pasted, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, like, I think that weirdly one of the lessons that Skyrim should have taught is that, like, it's more about intention and less about, like, how big the place actually is. Yeah. You know, it, it's a really nice middle ground. I think we learned that from games more recently, this kind of spiritual successor to Fallout with Outer Worlds being like, we're going to give you like four tiny maps, but yeah. give the impression of a big universe. And like, that's a very different game. I think it does, it feels more like a Mass Effect or a Dragon Age than like a Bethesda game. But I think that there's a lot to learn from that of like, I want even Breath of the Wild, you know, it, it's it's kind of a similar vibe to Skyrim where the map itself, you can get around in a reasonable amount of time, but everything there has a reason for being there. And mm -hmm. that's like even further intensified in Breath of the Wild with like, you know, like you see a mountain, you can climb it, you're going to meet like the king of Hyrule's ghost and like, you know, <laughs> maybe eight Kokiris, you know, it's amazing. Yeah, I, I forget where I heard this once, but um, I, I, I've heard that uh, level designers and game developers who are like creating the actual world in the map. Um, one of the things that they tend to do uh, occasionally is go to Disneyland um, yeah. specifically because Disneyland is built in such a way where it kind of has this like this uh, really strong focus on like if you see something and you walk towards it, you're going to have like an interesting experience and you're going to find something and discover something new. And uh, th this this way of kind of like warping the environment around you where like if you're in Tomorrowland and you look towards where Adventureland is, all the stuff that you're looking at will still look like it's in Tomorrowland, but somehow when you go over to Adventureland, it'll all look like it belongs in Adventureland. And when you look back at Tomorrowland, somehow it won't look like Tomorrowland anymore. Things like that, where they're, they're like tricking your eye and, and tricking your pers uh, perspective and your perception of things like through auditory and visual means to kind of like uh, convince you that you're in a place. Um, that seems to be a thing that a lot of game designers and level designers kind of uh, take inspiration from is like specifically what they did with Disneyland, which is very cool. But I, I know that that was a thing for Skyrim and, and I guess like almost by extension, uh, Breath of the Wild, which is really cool. This concept that like looking at a thing and going towards it means that you're going to be rewarded somehow in every regard. Um, that yeah. will always happen is really great. I mean, the amount of times even on this playthrough alone that I've like found completely new wild things just by saying like, I'm going to go to this mountain, I'm going to spam the jump button so I can jump all the way to the top of it has always been rewarding every time. Yeah. And I mean, even just like a place like Whiterun, which is like the biggest, it's the first big city you find in the game that will likely be kind of like your home for a lot of the game. Like yeah. you go back to to sell stuff. It's the first See, place where they like give you a house if you want right. one. Yeah. Um, seeing White Run in the distance is like captivating. You know, like if you didn't know what White Run was, mm -hmm. and it's purposely, it's White Run takes place in kind of like an open plain, like it's one of the least snowy areas. So it's like, yeah, no matter where you are in the beginning continent, you're gonna see that place and be like, what the hell is that? <laughs> and walk towards it and find, you know, the first major city. Probably like. White Run feels like it's the city that has everything you need, as opposed to other ones might be a little bit more like we've got better potions than White Run. Mm -hmm. Like R Riften, I feel like has the Thieves Guild and you know other things. Um, but yeah, I'm a sucker for Bellathor's general goods. What can I say? <laughs> Everything's for sale. Some call this junk. Me, me, I, I call, call them treasure. treasures. Do come back. <laughs> That's my favorite one. Do come back. It sounds he doesn't like want. He you doesn't to come want. Back. Yeah. yeah, he does not. <laughs> And I go there all the time. I sell so much shit to him. He has nothing left. 
I'm like, you don't want all my dragon bones? Okay. Yeah. I, uh, he, he is the reason that I always install the, uh, rich merchants of Skyrim mod <laughs> to make sure that yeah. all the merchants have a hundred thousand gold. There is a perk in speech that lets you, uh, like invest in a merchant shop to give them more, but like, yeah, might as well just cut to the chase. Yeah. Do you want to take a quick break and then uh, in the second half of the episode, do all our listener questions? That would be great. Let's do that. Um, I think there's a lot that were asked that I think kind of touch on subjects we kind of brought up here. So I'm excited to go deep into those conversations cool i'll um, say i'll say this before we go into the break real yeah, quick yeah. just to cap this off i think this this has been a very casual conversation about skyrim sp- shockingly casual for the two of us i think <laughs> yeah and truly i think the reason for that is like you and i could do an entire podcast that was just about the elder scrolls like you and i could oh do God, an entire yeah. podcast that was just skyrim focused and like just talk about skyrim forever it's it's like weirdly very difficult to like find new and interesting things to say about skyrim generally you know right. um and and uh i'm excited to answer the listener questions because allow us to dive a little bit deeper yeah if it, it, it felt like the time to do it though because it's like it's been so long that i feel like it's come around it's like oh skyrim okay let's let's do it why not and i do th- um, I, I think you mentioned this earlier but i think it's worth mentioning like skyrim has like kind of become a goof it's kind of become like a joke at this point but like yeah. when it came out it was revelatory and if you go and play it now it still works just as well as it always did so like it's only the the public perception of the game that's changed really the game itself hasn't changed the game is still incredible and it's still worth yeah. revisiting and playing yeah I, I think there's a tendency for any game that blows up that much like there's the hype there's everyone talking about it and then there's this like tendency to like write it off afterwards and i right. thought that that happened to skyrim in like 2013 but now i think it's been long enough that people like I know plenty of people who still play and I know a lot of people who are like younger than us that play a lot of it too. You know, that's the thing that's worth remembering is like that game came out when I was 20, 21, maybe Mm -hmm. Um, for a lot of people younger than us. That was like the Mario, like Mario three coming out. You know what I mean? It's like this (laughs) classic from their childhood that probably brings a lot of comfort. You know, I would love to hear someone who's like, you know, uh, I guess what five or more years younger than us, like their experience of Skyrim at that time. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's important to remember like what the legacy for a game like Skyrim was for maybe like both an older audience, people that like grew up with Morrowind and like seemed to largely work for and people who were like brand new to the genre, maybe even younger, you know, and that was like their formative experience the way Oblivion was for us. Yeah. And I think there's a reason that Skyrim is the one that got ported everywhere. Also, you know, I think it's the one that just like works so well for everybody. <laughs> so something about hearing Oblivion on Switch in my head was like that that will never happen. As much as I wanted to, yeah. it's never going to happen. That's the dream. The fact the fact that we can get it at all on Xbox brings me so much joy. Like that, it, that it is so easily attainable. I mean, we talk about this all the time, but the the backwards compatibility stuff that Microsoft is doing is like not Incredible. only just like fun. I think as a person who likes video games and like wants to continue playing the things that I loved back in the day, but also like really important for game preservation reasons. But just the idea that like I can recommend to someone that they get an Xbox Series S and then download Oblivion is so great to me and download Shivering yeah. Isles for a dollar. Uh, yeah, like I have Mirror's Armor, Edge, maybe. Final Fantasy 13. The only games I've paid for have been 360 games. Like everything else has been on Game Pass or Yakuza, <laughs> Yakuza I paid for. Yeah. But like I bought Mirror's Edge, Final Fantasy 13, Oblivion, and Sonic Adventure 2, which, uh, hey, just real quick, does not hold up very well. <laughs> 
<laughs> Maybe never did. But yeah. boy, did I have a great time hearing Cityscape again. Yeah. And going into the chow world. Uh, anyway, I saved Sonic my $5 episode. and just turned on Super Smash Brothers to listen to Cityscape. <laughs> yeah, it was on sale for $5. He texted me like, Do you, should we? I'm like, ah, fine. I don't regret it, but I will never play it again. Anyway. <laughs> Uh, I think we're going to move on to part two to do some questions. So I'll see you then. Yeah. Let's take a quick break and then do listener questions. Fusro da, baby. When you fight Shadow, he goes, I'm the coolest. And like that's when I'm like, there, there's no satire to be made after this. This is incredible. <laughs> that rules. Yeah. Anyway, see you soon. Brendan, we are back, and I got a bunch of Skyrim questions coming at us hot in 2020 from a bunch of dear listeners. I'm very excited to go through these with you. Yeah, this is great. Kicking it off, I'll just go right in. We got a few on Twitter and on Discord. Uh, thank you all to those who asked. I'll lead with at uh, Kyle Star. Hi, Kyle. Uh, he asked on Twitter, I tried this on I tried this meaning Skyrim on Xbox 360 long ago, but bounced due to personal time constraints. Is it worth picking up on Switch today, or are there better experiences more worth my while? Um, that's a really interesting question. I would say there's a pretty good chance it's worth picking up, no matter who you are, kind of what we talked about in the first part. I do wonder like, if you played it when it came out and bounced, that might not be a great sign. Yeah, I was just about to say, it depends on why you bounced the first time. Like, What, what, yeah. what were the reasons that it didn't work the first time? Right. Um, I guess if you if you're saying there are there experiences more worth your while, like we said in the first part, I think Breath of the Wild is like the best logical next step from this kind of formula. But if there's part of you that wants like a, a more even more open and more RPG experience, I think you'll have a great time. But if you bounce, maybe maybe just not for you. And that's fine. Um, but yeah, well, that, that's I will w- say w- it's weird, but. I feel like there's a dearth right now of games that let you like create your own character and experience an open world RPG like this yeah. that aren't like Divinity Original Sin to levels of like <laughs> in depth and just for people who like play D and D exactly by the handbook, you know? Um, right. I I feel like the thing that Skyrim really nails is like allowing you to really insert yourself into a cool world um, and and making it streamlined enough that like I could recommend it to literally anybody. Um, Yeah, and that's that's why I'm kind of bumping up against the like, are there other better experiences that are more worthwhile part of this question? Like, that's the thing I'm actually having a really hard time with is like, what would I recommend to somebody instead of Skyrim? I really think it depends what you're looking for. You know, it's not like an especially helpful answer, but I don't think there's like a, I think there are some games where I could be like, okay, if you like this, this is maybe the one to check out instead. Or this yeah. is like, but with Skyrim, it's like, it's touching on so many different things that like, if you're more of a, I just want an open world to run around on a horse and see beautiful things like Ghost of Tsushima would be great. Oh yeah. If you want like, you know, more of an RPG, like it, there's a lot of factors in that, but I think like, in short, I would say it's worth picking up if it's on sale on Switch one day. I think you'll be happy to check it out again. Yeah, uh, it is one of the reasons I'm really excited about um, the Microsoft acquisition of Arcane, though, is like not only do they have Bethesda in, in the Microsoft Game Studios stable now, you know, so like whatever Elder Scrolls 6 ends up being and, and Starfield and all those things are all like definitely going to be Xbox games, at least if not cross-platform games. Um, but like what is Avowed going to be? You know, Avowed right. seems to be like Arcane just trying to make their own version. Is it Arcane? Am I? Am I is that the right studio? Uh, Obsidian? 
It's no. Obsidian. You're right. Yeah, it's Obsidian. It is Obsidian. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, making like their own version of Elder Scrolls. You know, like yeah. That that was announced before Microsoft even bought Bethesda, you know. So like that really, se- I think I said it on the episode where they announced that uh, that it just seemed like it was Microsoft trying to get their own Elder Scrolls that was like an Xbox exclusive. So I don't know. I'm I'm really excited to see what it, that ends up being like because uh, I, I feel like there is a weird lack of games that are directly inspired by Skyrim. Everything is tangentially inspired by Skyrim, but nothing is like we're making an open world fantasy RPG where you get to make your own character. I just want that so badly. Yeah, I, I wonder like I wonder if they're going to take what they kind of did with Outer Worlds and apply it to a Elder Scrolls kind of formula. I, I just looked that. this up. There's a game I've been playing on Game Pass that I'll probably bring to the show sometimes soon uh called pillars of eternity and oh it was, yeah it was developed by obsidian and it is like a much it, it is a little bit of a friendlier and more inviting version of a divinity type game so like oh. it has that sort of like crpg vibe but it's a, like look i play a lot of rpgs and divinity is like almost too much for me in terms of just how dense it is you yeah. know like <laughs> it is i love it i think it's important and i get why people like consider that like you know the gold standard for like a certain type of rpg but pillars of eternity feels like a, okay we're gonna take like the that kind of experience and like just sand off some of the edges you know yeah and it's important it's important to have both and i'm glad both exist and i hope that whatever they do with the kind of like more elder scrolls inspired game i wonder if they'll do a similar approach where it's mm. like we're going to focus more on like making this not maybe maybe accessible is the wrong word, but just like more inviting right. and also more intentional in its design and less like kind of bloated. Yeah, I would love that. So, I would I would really love that. Me too. Um, yeah, I'm excited to see what that ends up being. I also just downloaded Pil- Pillows of Eternity Xbox. <laughs> That's going to be a January obsession, I feel. I feel it so strongly. <laughs> it's Divinity uh, all over again. Wasn't that Divinity also? Yeah, it was. It was. Like, like the dearth of winter last year. You and I both played <laughs> Divinity Originals in too. Exactly. And then Final Fantasy XIV. Yeah. Which I've been playing again, but yeah, it's for another, another time. That that's something that I do want to like. I want us to experience like because we we did a whole bonus on Realm Reborn, which we loved, and like I feel like we're only I've only heard incredible things about every expansion after that. So yeah. there's a lot of. And game I haven't left even finished Realm Reborn yet. I'm still like yeah, I'm right at Costa the end. Del like, Sol like running errands. <laughs> Great game. Great. Honestly, like the best MMO I've ever played. Anyway, yeah. at uh, Valunin. They ask on Twitter, uh, what's your favorite glitch? If not that, your favorite character interaction, which to me is open enough to maybe be also glitch related or maybe just like a genuine moment. I mean, the there's there's the like, you know, very, very, very classic Skyrim thing, which I think like maybe was a glitch, maybe not. But like maybe is one of the most fun things that you can do in the whole game, which is you take a basket and you put it on somebody's head and then you can like sneak around and they can never see you because <laughs> their line of sight is broken because there's a basket on their head. Like I, I think a, a thing that a lot of people, if I had to guess, a lot of people who played this game like didn't even realize you could do is if you hold A on a thing instead of pressing A, you can pick it up and move it around, and do whatever you want with it, which is like such a weird in-depth like edge case specific user thing to program into that game but makes for some really 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 fun shit uh you know you fill a whole house with cabbages or something just for fun (laughs) just to see what happens the whole game breaks i think my favorite is it makes me laugh every time and it again is probably like i don't know if it's a ps4 specific glitch i don't remember it from 360 but whenever i die whenever i die every time someone kills me in skyrim on ps4 in 2020 the enemy will go need something like at my dead body (laughs) and i don't know 
well, it's like every or they go like must have scared him off or something which like yeah. is a little bit more normal but a lot of them go like huh need something like to my like t-po's dead body oh <laughs> like, my god you know just incredible so i'd say that's my favorite i mean my favorite like in 2011 when like this game wasn't memed to death was the guy running on top of the horse galloping going help Someone help me! And it's running into the distance. Uh, so that would be my favorite interaction and glitch. Thank you for that question. That's a fun one. Yeah, it's a good question. As we mentioned, like there, there's this weird kind of um, there's this weird thing with Bethesda where I, I think like in some of their games the glitches are like more than welcome because they're so silly all yeah, the time. Right. They're not it like isn't... breaking your game. They're not making the game like unplayable in any sense. You know, but. That said, you do know that if you're playing a Bethesda game, you should probably have more than one save file just in case something does happen. Yeah. Like on stream, I uh, encountered a bard who just like sang at me and then just walked away like incomplete. So I lost it. Like just stuff like that <laughs> where it's like, here's another thing you can experience in this world. But yeah, quick save, like I hook save all the time. And it's also like I hate when I quick save in the middle of a fight. And it's like right before I died. I'm just yeah. in this death loop constantly. So yeah, uh, final question. Moving yeah. on. This this might be a big one. It might be a quick one. I'm not sure. Uh, Chase Alby, at Chase Alby on Twitter asks, who would win in a fight? Lester Jr. or Lester Sr.? Oh my God, this is a big question. I think we, I think we have to like really actually explain who Lester Sr. Yeah, and Jr. I was about are. To say. We've just been kind of alluding to them the whole time. <laughs> so as uh, you're all aware, I'm sure. Right, right, right. Uh, a year ago, which feels like forever ago, but basically last year, you and I finally got to stream Oblivion together. Um, mm-hmm. We made a character in Oblivion who was an Argonian named Lester, the lusty Argonian knight. As we were creating, we didn't come in with any kind of plan. We just knew we wanted to play Oblivion together. Yeah. Just And no one asked for this. No one like wants this. We just really wanted to do it. Like, yeah, we wanted, wanted to do this. it for forever. We asked for this. We yeah. asked for this. We yeah. at, we wanted it. Way before this podcast even existed, you and I actually recorded like one or two episodes of an Oblivion Let's Play that got like lost to time. Um, it was like immediately when you moved away. Yeah. But it, like you and I lived in the same town for like a week uh, and you came over and we did like two episodes of this thing that just like never got released and is like deleted off of a hard drive. So it doesn't even exist anymore. <laughs> so it was kind of like a finally let's get back to this thing that we've wanted to do forever. Um, yeah. And, and it uh, was yeah. really fun. The whole there's like a four part. I think they're each like an hour or so. There's a four part series, both on our Twitch and YouTube. Yeah. I think it might be six. I think it's longer than that. We, we did oh, a lot. Wow. We did a lot in <laughs> two days. We just did like a whole day. It was around. I think I was home for the holidays. It was so much fun. And we made this character named Lester who uh, only punches. He was a gladiator arena fighter in, in Oblivion. There is a hand to hand skill tree. It's a little bit less like of a niche thing in Skyrim, although weirdly more viable in Skyrim, which I'll get into. But Lester Sr. Uh, never wore a shirt, only punched, and uh, his son does the same. Lester Sr. was pretty powerful. We uh, we definitely ran into some difficulty, I think, but like he held his own pretty well. Lester Jr. is a monster. Lester yeah. Jr. is like actually like there. I've been streaming his adventure. I've been wanting to basically continue Lester Sr.'s adventure for a long time, but with the pandemic and everything, we always want to do that together. So a lot of things have kind of gotten in the way again, but I'm like, you know what? In the meantime, I love to stream Skyrim in preparation for this episode. I'll just make his son. I also learned that Argonians live for around 200 years. Yeah. And, uh, 
Skyrim takes place 200 years after Oblivion. So it was perfect. So yeah. it's literally it like really Lester is Jr. his son. Like, yeah. <laughs> like junior. Yeah. Um, there is no hand to hand. Same thing. He doesn't wear a shirt and he only punches. Uh, does some magic, but nothing. No destruction. Just like healing or making things into gold. And the lore <laughs> in my head is like just he's clenching his fists in a certain way. These are also all on YouTube if you want to watch them. But uh, he, there's a perk in heavy armor that lets you do your gauntlet armor rating as damage, which like makes it, even though there's no skill tree for hand to hand, that one perk makes it very viable if you get your smithing up. Yeah. Um, and if you get your enchanting up, you can enchant items to like increase unarmed damage. So it takes a while, but I'm already like, I'm level 16 or Lester Jr.'s level 16, and I'm already able to like, fend off most enemies like if they're low level they're down in like two hits basically mm-hmm. yeah um and there's in skyrim there are animations when you win in hand-to-hand that are like unbelievable like slow motion Zack snyder punches to the face suplexes <laughs> neck breakers it's like thrilling to play as lester jr so it feels unfair because we never got to see lester senior like come to his full fruition and I feel like Lester Jr. is like getting there, but I think I would have to give it to Jr. But I might be biased because I'm playing as him. But I would love to know what you think. Yeah, no, I'm I'm right there with you. From what I've seen of Lester Jr., I've seen most of the streams at this point, uh, and and he just seems like he is trying to want. He's like trying to escape his father's shadow and thinks yeah. that he never will, but has done it. You know, like you know, months if not years ago, like he already pulled yeah. it off, but thinks that he hasn't. So he's just trying to one up himself at this point. Um, I mean, he he is he is essentially like Goku. You know, like he <laughs> he's a machine, and he doesn't know that he's a machine. He doesn't know that he's on that level, really, which I think is great. Lester Senior made a name for himself in the in the Gladiator uh, arena, right? Like he he definitely made a name for himself, but I don't think he's achieved any of those highs yet. I think where we left Lester Senior off was somewhere he got arrested. The, he, he, got, he got like arrested, <laughs> but like was also like poking his head into like places where it didn't belong really. Like he was like weirdly becoming investigative in ways that I think were like unbecoming of a of a punch lizard. Um, <laughs> but also like we don't know the rest of his story. You know, we don't know how it ends. Uh, right. we, we don't know where Lester Jr. came from. There, exactly. are, there are a lot of things that are still up in the air about Lester Sr.'s life. And, and I have to imagine um, that he's going to go in some really interesting places, especially considering Oblivion has an unarmed tree specifically. Yeah. Um, but that said, uh, Lester Jr. at the moment is just like a powerhouse. I mean, he, he is like <laughs> he has chainsaws for fists, man. He's yeah, he's wild. He took out a, a den of vampires. Like he, this is, I found his scroll of firestorm. He just punches the ground and like all the vampires exploded around him. He's killed dragons just with his fists. Uh, and, and I fought that like evil sorcerer that had the ghost come out of him. It's yeah. like incredible. That took forever, but he <laughs> gets there, you know, there, there, it's like a mountain goat. He'll get there eventually. Yeah. So I, I, I think right now I have to give it to Lester jr. I think he is like, obviously the pick, um, that said though, you and I have talked about doing like Morrowind with like Lester seniors, ancestors, uh, yeah, great and we've talked about doing Elder Scrolls <laughs> online specifically, uh, where we play as like sibling Argonians who are like long long descendants of lester so like there's a lot more to the lester story i think it's weirdly like up. jojo's bizarre adventure there's always a new lester you yes know? like yes 
Um, so yeah, I think whenever we can make Lester, we will basically like our love yeah. of lizards were more of a common option in other games as well, but they aren't. <laughs> um, but anything Elder Scrolls, I, I think Elder Scrolls Online is going to be fun because that's even before Morrowind. That's like real early days. So yeah, like, yeah, it's really really early. I, I'm like, surprised that you and I haven't done it already, considering it's on Game Pass. Like it just seems yeah. like something that you and I would probably have done by now. Yeah, we 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 will probably do that very soon once once like you know post holidays and stuff yeah that could be a 2021 thing i would love that so yeah so lester jr is currently the most powerful lester but keep an eye out jr because there are other lizards before and after you that may grow even stronger yeah okay let's uh so moving on at okimmy's on twitter asks if you could be jarl of any hold in skyrim which would you pick it's a great oh, question solitude easily i mean you're I basically just- I just love that city. I just love the look of that city. I think it's so pretty. Oh, um, yeah. The first time you walk up to Solitude, like if you if you don't take a cart there and end up just like at the base of the city, but if you like walk there from somewhere else and you see it in the distance, just this like huge looming plateau, like jutting off of a mountain with a city on top of it. It's like so thrilling. It is the most fantastical of all the cities, just like in terms of visual design. And then you show up there and it's beautiful too. Like the, yeah. the way the sun shines into it, the way it's decorated. It is just a beautiful, beautiful place. Um, it's got the best house yeah. too, by far. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's where the, uh, the, the queen of all Skyrim is. Cause like mm-hmm. Ulfric killed her husband. So she's like in power now. Right. And uh, yeah, that, that place is cool. I would uh, alternatively choose Winterhold. <laughs> that was that's my second pick. Because that's the lo-fi hip-hop relaxed study to uh, keep, I think. Because here's the deal. There's Civil War brewing, and like there are some areas, like Whiterun sounds picturesque, but Whiterun is like at the heart of the conflict between the two. Like, cause there are some, whoever holds winter, uh, white run, like owns Skyrim essentially. Yeah. And, and there are the Battleborn and, and gray beards that are not gray beards, the Battleborn and the, uh, the uh, other Greyjoys? family, the what? Greyjoy? Uh, what is Greyjoy from? Is that is that know. Game of Thrones? I thought you said androids. I'm like Android 18 and Broly are like always fighting in White Run. But uh, <laughs> I don't remember. Yeah, there are there are the two families that are associated with the Empire and the uh, Stormcloaks, and they're always feuding. Uh, Winterhold is like you got the College of of majors there so it's like kind of a fun like you yeah. know academy setting and then the town itself was like an inn and like a farm so it's like the thing yeah the thing about being the jarl of winterhold is that you have no power at all i mean you, ha- you have power really i mean you, you are the jarl so that's nice so you get to be a jarl but at the same time like you're not more powerful than anyone who walks up to the no mages college they're all way it, more powerful than you it's like being the mayor of midgar you know it's like yes. okay like i you know shimmer tower is there I just drink hot chocolate and watch the snow in my weird house. Yeah. And that's all I would want to do. You know, like it's kind of, I feel like there's a safety in that bubble, you know? And like, um, yeah. So that would be, uh, Riften would be cool too, but that's like, that's like, you know, political, like it's like very scummy and, and sketchy in, in Riften. So. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if you'd want to be the Jarl of Riften. <laughs> Maybe like Morthal, like one of the random like middle towns. But yeah. no, Winterhold would be my choice. That's a good pick. It's a really good pick. Yeah, Solitude would be a lot of work. I think you're right. Winterhold would be like just chilling out. Literally, because yeah. it's so cold. <laughs> just chill. I want a postcard from Winterhold that is just like, just chilling. And it's like <laughs> <laughs> drinking hot cocoa by the College of Magi. Yeah. Anyway. Do you become that's... a Jarl at any point? Does somebody let you be a Jarl? 
that feels like something that would be a quest uh you can be a thane of every city right but i don't think you can be a jarl uh, <laughs> i just i just did the um the quest line what i don't think i'd ever done before where uh the courier shows up and he's like i got a letter for you and then you open it up and it's from the jarl of Falkreath. oh and he's yeah like, i've heard of your travels come visit me and he's like i want you to kill so many people and yeah. if you do i'll give you a house <laughs> He's just like so so scummy and shitty. (laughs) He signs, I don't know why I remember this, but he signs that letter, I remain, which is like my favorite sign off. Oh my God. Yeah, I remain. He's like, you know what? I like you. You're not afraid to get your hands dirty. Yeah. It's it's like he's the Jarl of just like nothing. It's like four like cardboard boxes in the woods and he's like so evil yeah that that town is especially because it's like they're in like the worst part of the swamp like riverwood is kind of in this like cozy like by the river but they're like in the swamp and there's like always like werewolves attacking yeah he's the jarl of nothing and is like so pumped about it um Okay, uh, here's a fun one. So at Jack Cruss on Twitter. So I want to personally know a couple things. Ooh. One is of all the Daedra and the Divines, otherwise known as the Aedra, which are Jellicle and which are not? Vital information, IMO. And two is I'm assuming you both play on the new Xbox. If so, what are your favorite mods to play with? Ooh. I want to answer the second one first, and then we'll discuss that whole business afterwards. Yeah. Well, you didn't play with any mods, right? I haven't. So I, I, I have nothing. I have nothing on that. I don't know. Okay, great. I'm, I don't have anything for the first yeah. one, so this is perfect. I'll answer number perfect. two and you answer number one. That sounds great. Uh, okay. If you're playing on the Xbox or on PC, unfortunately, this doesn't work on PS4, the mod you have to get, there are a lot of great mods, don't get me wrong. There are a lot of really good mods. The one you have to get, though, is called the Forgotten City. Do you know about the Forgotten City? No, what's that? Okay, the Forgotten City is like essentially an entire like expansion to Skyrim. It adds an entire new quest line to the whole new city. And it is an unbelievable quest. It is so good. It is like maybe one of the best quests in Skyrim. Like just pretend that Bethesda had added this to Skyrim. It would be like towards the top, maybe the best quest in the whole game. It, It essentially relies on a looping time travel mechanic where you're continuing to go through a day um, kind of like a Majora's Mask vibe where you need to like investigate uh, everybody and all of their actions throughout this city and find out like who did a bad thing by like following them around and dying and time looping over and over again. It's really, really good. It's really, really good. It's called the Forgotten City. I don't want to say too much about it because, um, you know, the discover it, it is very much like a mystery that you're solving and the discovery of it. Uh, is really what's important there, but it's really cool. Outside of that, I, I just downloaded a lot of like visual mods. Um, so there's like, uh, I got one that adds uh, a bunch of like grasses uh, to the world. So like all of the grass that's in the world already is just like longer. Um, it looks a lot more like filled out. Like the world just feels more alive, I think, because there's like longer like wheat and barley like flowing in the wind all the time. Yeah. I got a bunch that just like added more weather options and things like that. Um, Just a lot of like visual things here and there that I think really added to it. But in terms of like things that actually change the gameplay, I don't really download a whole lot. This time, though, I got an entirely new system for perks. I forget what it's called. I wish I had written it down. Maybe I'll add it. I'll add it to the show notes or something. 
but I got one that changes the entire perk tree for every single uh, every single uh, perk. Oh yeah, I think I saw that on your stream. Yeah, it is fascinating. It's so interesting. So like for example, uh, say one handed. One handed, the first perk all the way at the bottom will be like we will increase the amount of one handed damage you do by five percent. You know, every time you put a perk in here, and it goes up to ten or something. That that is pretty much the same perk for like every single kind of weapon you know so like archery two-handed they'll all have that same like bump it up by five percent this will boil those down to two so it only goes up to two but it's 25 percent each time uh, or 50 percent each time i forget which one it is uh but then all of the perks above that are like completely new wild things so i've just been really enjoying like uh you know breaking out of what i normally do not being a sneak archer but also simultaneously like building out a character that I can only build out because I have this new mod system in here. Uh, it's been really, really cool. I've been enjoying it a lot. Yeah. But outside of that, like I haven't really done a whole lot because there's so much of the base game that I still haven't experienced somehow after hundreds of hours. Like I hadn't done any of the, um, any of the DLC at all. So like I'm building a house for the first time, which is thrilling. You were like, you should try it. Just see if you like it. And I ended up spending like four straight hours <laughs> building a house and it was awesome. It's a good time. It was so yeah. good. Yeah, I, I think um, honestly, I think Skyrim has some of the best DLC like of all time. Honestly, yeah. like in terms of just how to do, it's okay. There's this base game that like already has too much in it, and then like you add the vampire stuff with Dawn Guard, and like the vampires are fun. But what makes Dawn Guard great is really like a it's a good campaign. Like as much as we criticize like the faction stories, like the Dawn Guard story is great, and Dragonborn is like I think the pinnacle. Dragonborn is an incredible story. I don't yeah. know if you've done that. Have you? No, I started it. I went to Morrowind uh, and I was way under leveled because that is like very yeah, much like an end game thing. It is basically they let the you idea. access it too early. They do, uh, yeah, which they I do. think is the problem. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you hit level 10 and they're like, well, you are the fake dragon. Basically, like there's someone who has convinced other people that he is the dragonborn in Morrowind. Yeah. Uh, and it's really cool. It's a great story. Uh, and it's just cool that like, it's a whole new map. They add so much, like both DLC packs add so much like inventory and equipment you can find. It's a great time. And I, yeah, I would love to start playing with mods. I think I might download it on Xbox to do so, especially for the character creation stuff. I, I feel like I would probably download a lot of stuff. Yeah. That, that alternate that. start mod that I got is like really yeah, going to be a big one for me going forward. I'll, I'll, maybe i'll just like export and post a list of the mods that i used for this playthrough in the show notes um because i would absolutely recommend playing exactly the way that i've been playing <laughs> it has been just a dream the whole time it like has been the most fun i've been i've had playing skyrim in a long time i think i think you in particular would have a really good time with this there's also like a bunch of mods that are like still in development that are gigantic um the two is the two biggest ones i think that are worth noting are skywind and skyblivion which are yeah. exactly what they sound like which are just like <laughs> essentially just taking all of Morrowind, like the video game and remaking it in the Skyrim engine. And then the same thing for Oblivion. I want so badly to play both of those, but they've both been in like very active development for a really long time. I guess yeah. like 10 years at this point. Um, but they're both like actually still coming along really well and like have trailers coming out all the time. And like you and I know one of the voice actors who was in Sky uh, Skywind, um, like they're like working on it working on it it's like a it's like a full project by a lot of people so i'm yeah. really excited for that i think that'll be really fun when sky when sky oblivion comes out i think you and i have to talk about it oh my god absolutely and it's also like this is a bigger conversation but i don't know the ins and outs so i don't know like exactly what bethesda's response to this is but like it's cool they let that happen you know what i mean yeah like in conversations with like they built it into the game you know like right. they 
they built that stuff into uh into into skyrim where like you open it up and the first thing that's there is the mod system you know and like yeah that's a website that's a random website that people were uploading mods to eventually that like that bethesda eventually decided like we're gonna fold this into the api of skyrim and just allow people to access those mods from their xboxes or playstation 4s like that's incredible that they think that they allowed that level of control I don't know. I can't verify if this is true or not, but I remember being told that there were a few uh, modders for Oblivion that ended up getting hired by Bethesda to work on Skyrim, specifically with the dungeon design. Yeah. And like, it's just a great way to recognize like, okay, like here's like the talent that we are inspiring with our current thing. Like why not take yeah. advantage of the, not take advantage, but like, invest in that talent you know yeah and, if i'm not mistaken the uh developers of forgotten city that other mod that i was talking about got hired by bungie i think that's amazing to work yeah. on destiny um so i just it's it's just cool to see that more positive response whereas i think a lot of other companies would just sue them you know right yes exactly like, yeah. uh, so anyway without getting too into that so okay here's the deal <laughs> about this thing we've been putting off um at least close to a dozen people asked uh, for us to say uh, whether the Aedra and the Daedra are jellical or not. <laughs> I'm down. I'm down to party. I'm always down to talk cats. You know me. I don't want this to become our play free bird. You know what I mean? I really <laughs> don't want this to be the thing that pe- and I don't I didn't take it that way. If you asked it, don't feel bad. Um, but I don't want too much of a good thing. That being said, enough of you asked and I think it is a fun topic to discuss in this exact setting that I'm going to try to do it really quick. Um, okay. I'm so excited about this. Think? So I, I just want to say on, on my behalf, uh, I, do, I have not internalized enough of the lore of this game to be able to do what you're about to do. And, and let me, uh, I, I think one up that and say not even do but accomplish. You're about to accomplish this. Thank you, thank you. Make use of the talent, Brendan. Yeah, uh, I. Th- this is not a thing that I'm I'm well suited for, but I'm very excited to hear you rattle this off. My logic is like, okay, we did our our we we ranked all the cat villagers in Animal Crossing on a scale of very not jellical, not jellical, jellical, very jellical. That was a very in depth, way too long conversation. I can't believe we did that. that. I completely forgot about uh, that. And we also attempted, we we tier ranked all the 51 worldwide classics and almost did a jellical thing for them too, but held back because it yeah. was too evil. This, I think, will be a, a bit more of a, uh, more of like a college lecture and less of a Into the Aether episode. So I think okay. it's going to so be I should, like... I should like sit back and get ready for this. Sit back, get ready. And also like, it's going to be like less of a debate and more of a like, here's what you can expect on the exam kind of thing. Yeah. So here's um, the thing, dear listener, just <laughs> off the show, Stephen brought up that this question was going to come up. And I was like, I don't, I don't know enough of the Daedra or the Aedra to like know this. You know, I, I don't think I can have any input here. And, and Stephen's response was not, okay, I'll take care of it. Stephen's response was, there's only 16. <laughs> <laughs> and I, was like, I didn't more. memorize the 16 Daedra and Aedra. <laughs> I, I didn't memorize one it. of them. I know Azura's one. That's about it. <laughs> uh, she's a big one. So here's the deal. I'm so I'm there actually are, I'm gonna put I'm gonna lean back. I'm gonna put my feet up. I'm gonna actually get another beer like on air. Do you mind if I like go? Yeah, grab go for it, please. Yeah, for I can this? hang so out. I'll, like, I'll hang out with the listener. Yeah, chat them up. I'm gonna grab another beer for this sick free masterclass. Basically, this is a masterclass <laughs> that you didn't pay for. This is great. I'm so excited about this. I really, dear listener, I really am. I'm like, I don't know if you can hear me. Like, t- oh yeah, there it is. I'm like twisting the microphone. I'm like getting ready. I'm actually thinking about breaking out my iPad and like taking some notes. I got an Apple pencil. 
for Christmas. Thank you to my lovely partner, Persia, who got me an Apple pencil so I can take notes uh, while Stephen lists off the Aedra and the Daedra. I will say I'm, I'm, I'm interested to see uh, Azura, who is the only I don't even know if if she's an Aedra or a Daedra, uh, but I'm excited to see if she ends up being Jellicle or not. I'm going to say that she is. But I'm also interested, there's there's the other one that I know, uh, there's a haunted house mission in, I think, Markarth. Um, uh, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, we'll get to we'll get to Molag Ball. Don't worry. Yeah, I, I'm going to I'm going to venture a guess that he is also Jellicle based on what I know of him. <laughs> Holy shit. OK, yeah. So this I think for the sake of time, we're just going to say Jellicle or not. It's not going to be very, you know, we're not dealing with cat villagers here. Right. OK, um, I, would, I mean, I, I, w- I would welcome some explanation uh fine i'll stick to the usual grid okay we, it, we'll, it we'll, could we'll be a it. sentence i'm just curious like i just you're just about to rattle off a bunch of names i've never heard at me and i would <laughs> like some context you know for okay, why you made your right. choices and i think the listeners would appreciate it too okay fine i'm gonna stick to our scale we used last time be consistent oh uh, wow okay uh so so very not jellical not jellical jellical very jellical okay Great. i love this okay what does jellical mean uh, honestly, impossible to explain. I'm about to explain to you the difference between Aedra and Daedra. I cannot tell you exactly what Jellicle is, but it is a vibe. And it's inescapable, unexplainable, and everywhere. You just know it. When I tell you if something it's is like Jellicle or not, you're gonna... <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> What's your J um, count? We're going to start with the Aedra. I'm also going to set it up. I know I, I talked a big game. There are some that I don't know, but I do have in front of me the Elder Scrolls fandom that is definitely giving my computer all kinds of viruses. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, and I'm here. So we're going to start with the Aedra. It's a little yeah. bit easier. And honestly, I think overall less Jellicle than the Daedra. The Aedra, whenever someone in, in an Elder Scrolls game says the Nine Divine, by the Nine Divine, it's a common thing. It's yeah. sort of like, God damn it, by the Nine Divine. They mean the Aedra. The Aedra are beings that have basically ascended reality to a form of sainthood, where they're more representative of an idea and they're less directly involved with the material realm. Mm-hmm. Um, so the Aedra, the way you interact with them in the game, you get amulets. So you'll get amulets of Akatosh, amulets of Talos, and okay. you can also get blessings in shrines. So you right. probably have seen like a blessing of Kinnereth or a blessing of Stendar. Those are the Aedra. So the Aedra kind of have more like I'm looking at the fandom right now and there are stained glass depictions of the Aedra of the nine divine. That's sort of the vibe. They are, they have gone to a higher plane of existence and their relationship with the material realm of Tamriel is more out of worship and out of symbolism than out of like Akatosh is going to give me gold if I, if I do this for him. So that's what Aedra are like. Okay. Um, so my, my question I guess is are the Aedra Daedra who have ascended or are they people who were in Tamriel who have ascended? That's a great question, Brendan. That brings us to Talos uh, who uh, the Almeri dominion have banned worship of right. Talos is the only uh, mortal or the only man, the only human, Nord specifically, who ascended to the realm of Aedra. And wow. that's why the Almeri Dominion have, you know, you'll notice in the very first scene of Skyrim, they go by the eight divine, because it's like a imperial Almeri Dominion sponsored execution. Yeah. And then in response, the Stormcloak goes, for the love of Talos, shut up and get this over with. So oh, he's wow. directly spitting in the face of that idea that Talos is banned. Um, and that's something that 
that's one of the only things that I'm like pro Stormcloak on is like outlawing Talos is fucked because he is an Adra. Okay, <laughs> yeah, that's great. And I want to I want to say Talos you is go to, you go to his uh, you go to his shrine and he gives you a blessing. You know, yeah. I'm going to say Talos is Jellical. I'm going to start off by saying uh, that he is the first Jellical Adra because he's all about shouts. He's basically like musical theater ascended into godhood, basically. What what I'll say, what I'll say about, about Talos, I guess, is like, I agree. I think I can agree that he's Jellical for that reason. That makes a lot of sense to me. I'm not going to give input on all of these, but the thing, just (laughs) the, the fact, uh, I, I think the fact that you, when you go to a shrine of Talos and you press the A button and you accept his blessing and it makes your shouts recharge faster. Yeah. You know, you're getting an active effect when you, when you pray at his shrine. I think that means that he is, he's an Adra, you know? And I, I understand why it's hard for the, uh, the, the Imperials and the Dominion to understand that because they can't shout and they can't actively get that blessing and feel that same effect that you can. But you can prove that God exists. A God that makes you yell more is inherently jellical. You know, letting you kind of be more vocal in any way is jellical. So I think Talos is jellical. Whereas Zenithar, God of work, commerce, trader God, very not jellical. (laughs) (laughs) I don't even have to to click on Zenithar's link. Fuck Zenithar. Very not jellical. Um, Jellical name, not a jellical person. Oh yeah, Zenithar the merchant cat sounds very jellical, but like a he looks too. like he looks like Saint Joseph and he's the god of work, commerce, and trader. So like very not jellical. Not that he's bad. Again, jellical is not good or bad. It's just the vibe. Yeah. So we got Talos Jellical, Zenithar very not jellical. Stendar is also very not jellical. Uh he's the god of mercy, justice, charity, luck, righteous rule by might and merciful forbearance. The thing about Stendar that pisses me off <laughs> is that whenever you meet uh, followers of Sendar, they're basically like worship cops. They're like, fuck the Daedra. We wear mages robes and steel boots because we don't know how to build the character. And we hate all the Daedra equally. And they, they it's just such a, it's such a uh, black and white worldview that I don't think it's Jellico at all. And I don't really like, Maybe that's independent of Stendar. Maybe it's unfair to classify him based on his fan base. Yeah, maybe Stendar's up there like, dude, you're making me look bad. But I do think God, the God of mercy and justice is not really Jellicle. It's a little bit too lawful for Jellicle. So I'm going to say Stendar is also very not Jellicle. Yeah. Mara, on the other hand, goddess of love, compassion, the mother goddess, the amulet of Mara allows you to get married. I want to say Mara is Jellicle as well. Hmm. You know, romantic, little loose. I'm into it. Uh, Mara's Jellicle. Uh, Kinnereth, goddess of air, wind, sky, and elements. I want to say not Jellicle. Not very, but just not feeling it. Uh, Julianos, god of wisdom and logic. Also not Jellicle. Here we go. I know what you're thinking. Are there any very Jellicle Asia? There are Debella, goddess of beauty and love. And also the cult of Debella, they like just want to fuck basically. Like that's their whole vibe. Well, that um, is Jellicle. Yeah, that is very Jellicle. Yeah. So Debella, very Jellicle. Um, we got RK, god of here. Here's a fun one. RK is the god of the cycle of life, death, mortals, burials and funeral rites. RK also looks kind of biblical. I you, gotta say go, Ar- you gotta go into the Hall of the Dead to get RK's blessing, which increases your health. Yeah. Um, 
I'm going to say it, you might think you might hear that and say RK is very not jellical. I'm going to say RK is jellical because what is more jellical than the idea of reincarnation? Yeah, no, I was just about to say it. No, again. yeah, I, my first inclination on RK is jellical. Definitely. Yeah. Um, and th- this is this is a tough one. I might need your help on this. The last okay. Adra is is Akatosh, who you might have heard from Parthenax. Yes. Uh, Akatosh is the dragon. He's the dragon god of time and the chief god of the pantheon. So Akatosh is like <laughs> okay. the Zeus of the Adra. Tell me tell He's, me why the dragon god of time is not Jellical. <laughs> <laughs> that's why I needed your help. <laughs> is that uh, it? That's that's the whole Those are the nine divines. So Oh yeah, oh got, yeah, absolutely Jellical. Akatosh so is like super okay. Jellical. So I'm going to go down so Akatosh, dragon god of time, Jellical. RK God of the cycle of life and death, Jellical. Debella, goddess of beauty, love, and just having a good time, very Jellical. Julianos, god of wisdom and logic, not Jellical. Kenareth, goddess of air, wind, sky, and elements, not Jellical. Mara, goddess of love, Jellical. Stendar, don't even have to fucking read it, very not Jellical. Talos, <laughs> Jellical. And Zenithar, god of work and commerce, the traitor god, is very <laughs> the not Jellical. The traitor capitalist god. Yeah. So that is the Adra. So we did the Adra. Um, more Jellical than I thought, but I, I had a feeling it would be mostly very not, which moves us now, dear listener and dear Brendan, to the Daedric Princes. There we uh, go. Yeah. It's fun I'm time. so excited. It's a fun time. It looks like there are 20. No, there are not 20. There are there are 16. And there are 17. Okay. Um, okay. This will be, this will be, are you doing all right? How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm, I'm leaned all the way back. I got my feet up on the desk. I'm, I'm chilling. This is great. So, uh, I'm just letting you play the drums. <laughs> <laughs> kind of, uh, just to classify what the Daedra are. The Daedra, if the Aedra are like saints the Daedra are like Greek gods. They are directly mm. intertwined with the mechanical and physical happenings <sighs> of the material realm. And they are very petty usually. Yeah. Um, they range from almost Adra esque like Azura. And then you got Molog ball. Who's like responsible for vampires and is evil and is like actually <laughs> a devil. Um, so, much more of like a, a, a Greek god vibe. Um, they show up more often. You meet many in person in the game. Yeah. Uh, it, it's worth noting the only like physical appearance of an Aedra that I know of, me, Steven, Masterclass Daedra, uh, <laughs> is at the very end of Oblivion, uh, Martin Bean. Is that who it is? Sean Bean? Um, yeah. Martin Bean. Sean Bean becomes Akatosh at the very end and kills and kills uh, Clavicus Vile. No, not Clavicus. Mayron's Dagon. Wow. Um, he he becomes Akatosh like a glowing light of dragon. Uh, great time. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, it's, and so jellical. Uh, so that's the Daedra. We're going to start off with Azura, who is the Daedric princess of dusk and dawn, heavily worshipped by the Dark Elves. And gives you the Azura star, which you mentioned earlier this episode. Yeah, I do want to mention uh, just very quickly because I didn't bring it up in in the earlier bits, but uh, the Azura star quest line highly recommended if you've never played Skyrim. So do that as quickly as humanly possible Um, at the end of it. So the whole the whole thing is that somebody finds Azura star. Um, which allows you to, ju- it's like a reusable soul gem, essentially, that allows you to just constantly ingest souls. A, a dark mage has found it and is trying to allow it to accept human souls. Like, you can, like, suck a human soul 
out of of their body and use that um, and turn it into the Black Star. It's great. Definitely get the Black Star. It's the most evil thing I do in all of my runs is, is uh, <laughs> turn the Zora Star into the Black Star and then just start soul trapping everybody I meet in a cave. For for Hades fans, I always picture Zora as like Nyx, basically. She has like a Nyx vibe, you know? Mm. And for Greek mythology fans, I would say Azura is jellical because Azura is kind of like the old Deuteronomy of the Daedra and that like, I think when Azura speaks, the rest listen. Like mm-hmm. she's like a very powerful and respected Daedra, but is also like the goddess of nighttime, basically. And like, what's more jellical? Yeah. You know, like who is she, the, is she the one that lifts you into the air when you first meet her? Or is that Mara? That's Meridia. Oh, Meridia uh, Mara is an Aedra. Yeah, right, it's right. fine. You're doing great. I'm trying uh, my best out here. <laughs> so I'm going to say Azura's Jellical. Uh, uh, she's a great one. A good one. Uh, here's one I had to look up, and I'm going to embarrass myself. Boethia. Let's see. Berinth- Boethia. Oh, I know him. Boethia is the prince of plots <laughs> who rules over deceit, conspiracy, secret plots of murder, assassination, treason, Oh, he's he's just uh, who's the evil cat? Oh, oh my God, um, McCavity, McCavity, McCavity. <laughs> yeah, Boethia is just McCavity. Okay. <laughs> he's also yeah. So I would say McCavity. So uh, does Boethia. that mean jellical or does that mean not jellical? Because McCavity sure does fail. Oh shit, you're right. I want to say Boethia is not jellical because you know I think he's not very not, but I think he's going about it the wrong way. Kind of mm. like McCavity is. And McCavity is never the jellical choice. Yeah. So Boethia, not jellical. Clavicus Vile, I want to say, is very jellical. Uh, I know what you're thinking. Half dog, maybe not the exact vibe we're looking for. But uh, they are the Daedric Prince of granting power and ri- wishes through ritual, invocations, and packs. Oh, yeah. They've got a companion named Barbus who sounds like... Uh, what's his name? Whoever voiced Iago in Aladdin. Uh, <laughs> he, he, Barabbas sounds like him. I would say uh, having a companion named Barbus makes you jellical because Barbus yeah. sounds like they would be jellical by themselves. Right. So Clavicus Vile, very jellical. Absolutely. Uh, now we're on uh, Hermaeus Mora, the Daedric Prince of Knowledge and Memory. He's like kind of a Lovecraftian, like lobster weird thing. His sphere is the scrying of the tides of fate the past and future as red in the stars and heavens. He's like a bloodborne boss, basically. Like he's very cosmic. Yeah. But he doesn't really appear like all the Daedra kind of appear as like people or creatures. And he looks like kind of a, like a, a gourd growing lobster claws. Um, so, okay, here we go. Hermaeus Mora most commonly appears as a rotund mass of tentacles with an abundance of eyes and four disproportionately large lobster like claws. Although he appears as a grotesque void out of which tentacles appear. I think the way you're, you're about to rank this Daedra is going to say a lot about your own interpretation of the word jellical. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll take a risk. I'm going to say Hermaeus Mora is jellical because like what it just pure chaos, basically, yeah, you know. Yeah. It's it's chaos in again another Hades reference. Hermaeus Mora is chaos. It's like knowledge as presented in the stars and heavens. It's not like very logical, but it's very important. Yeah, um, I don't know why, but but they remind me of Gus the theater cat. <laughs> I'm simply a mass of tentacles with many eyes. Um, <laughs> meow. Moving on. <laughs> meow. Moving on to her scene. Uh, I know the Daedric Prince of the Hunt. I'm gonna say her scene is is not jellical. 
You know, they're just sort of like, hello, can you kill an elk for me? Well done, Hunter. <laughs> also, werewolves go there. Like, not our vibe. Mm. Um, th- their realm is where you go when you die if you're a werewolf. And you just sort of like hunt forever. Oh. Again, living okay. in one place forever, not Jellicle, Hussein. Yeah. It's not Jellicle at all. I'm sorry. Moving on to Jigalag, already a Jellicle name. <laughs> Jellicle, yeah. <laughs> Next. Jigalag. <laughs> I, 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 don't, I don't want to know anything about Jigalag. <laughs> Malakath is the Daedric Prince of the Scorned. He is the sort of uh, uh, heavily worshipped by orcs. He's kind of the reject god. Um, I want to say Jellicle because there's sort of like a punk vibe to Malakath. And I think he'd fit in with like a bunch of alley cats, you know? Moving on to uh, Mayrunes Dagon, uh, who is the Daedric Prince of Rebellion, the main antagonist of oblivion uh, responsible for the oblivion crisis he saw the world of tamriel as rightfully within his realm of, of oblivion to conquer and tried to do it thank god for the argonians who drank the hiss sap that they foresaw this event and prevented it from happening in black marsh wow i can't tell if you're bored if you're like using evidence you're, like compiling evidence sorry against i was me. looking i was looking up uh information about jiggle <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, he's much less jellical than his name sounds. He's the Daedric Prince of Order. Yeah, but look at him. <laughs> he looks Jig-a-lag. like a Dark Souls boss. He does. Jigalag. Uh, Mayrun's Dagon, very not jellical. Sorry. Sorry. Uh, m- moving on to Mafala. I'm going to speed it up a little bit. Mafala is... I don't know this one either. Uh, name of the Web Spinner. She, oh my gosh. She's the Daedric Princess of... Excuse me. Mafala is the Daedric Prince associated with sex and secret murder so very jellical yeah Don't to read anything else yeah big jellical vibes yeah big film meridia, energy. meridia is the uh associated with uh, energies of living things and she hates the undead I don't know about Meridia because I feel like conceptually she's jellical but I don't know if, if in vibe she is you know yeah I don't get a very jellical vibe from Meridia. Even uh, so she was the one I was alluding to before who like lifts you up into the air and is like this big kind of glowing beam of light that speaks to you. Yeah. For some reason that doesn't feel very jellical. There's something weirdly not theatrical at all about lifting you up into the air and speaking to you as a beam of light. That seems like kind of base level God shit, you know? Yeah. It's more Adra if anything. Yeah. Yeah. Meridia, not jellical. Sorry. Molag Ball. Here's, here's a rough one. Molag Ball is the Daedric Prince of Domination and Enslavement of Mortals. Um, he's like, if Azura is the good one, yeah. he is straight up evil. Okay. Uh, the the plot, at least in the beginning, the plot of Elder Scrolls Online is that Molag Ball was trying to like conquer the realm. And everyone was like, absolutely not. No way. <laughs> yeah, he's just awful. I don't even, I, I think I'm just going to say not Jellicle out of spite because he's just so fucked. Okay. Like, this is not the energy we want. Yeah. Get him out of um, the out of the aether. Un, uh, disqualified from the judgment. Okay, moving on. Namira, who are you? Uh, Daedric Prince, whose sphere is ancient darkness. She's associated with all things considered repulsive, including various creatures such as spider. What is it? The spiders. Uh, according to Khajiit theology, she has a connection to the heart of Lorkage. There you go. <laughs> Not jellical. Nocturnal. Very jellical. I've met her. She's got the vibe that we want. Uh, yeah. Who is this? Mistress Pari- of Shadows. Oh, and also Nocturnal is Lady Luck. Yeah, very jellical. Oh my god, One of the yeah. most jellical. Perite, the Taskmaster, the Digit Prince whose sphere is Pestilence. 
They're a little dragon. Uh, no, thank you. Not Jellicle. Sanguine. Here we go. Here's the energy I've been waiting yeah. for. Yeah. Sanguine is the, the Daedric- list. I, I want to. I couldn't. I couldn't oh, resist. Yeah. I brought the list up. Sanguine is the Daedric Prince of debauchery, and he's Dionysus, basically. Yeah. Oh my God. Lord of Revelry. They say. Yeah. Here. Very Jellicle. And speaking of very Jellicle, Shea Gorath, Daedric Prince of Madness. The uh, uh, duo protagonist of Shivering Isles, extre- overwhelmingly jellical yeah. in all ways, good and bad. Um, Shea Gorath, very jellical. And last but not least, we've got uh, Vermina, one I don't know. She's the Daedric uh, Prince of uh, Dreams and Nightmares. Very jellical, because what else do you get from watching Cat Story 19 other than dreams and nightmares? And, and omens. And omens. Yeah, so that's the list. So, uh, wow. I hope you wrote it down. <laughs> <laughs> so, that's it. We did all the Adrian We played Freebird. I, uh, I played Freebird. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, and we do have a few more questions. So, I'm going to move on to those if you're ready. Oh, my God. Yeah, we do have more questions. Yeah. Let's do, do them. You want to, actually, why don't we take a quick break after the masterclass and we'll get back? Oh, okay, sure. We're back and we're going to wrap up questions. Uh, so uh, Matt in Discord asks, should I play it if I get exhausted with RPG mechanics? This is, I just want to say this question is like a glass of cold water after the masterclass of Jellicle Deja we just did. Yeah, so Thank sorry, you. Matt, that we didn't put this one earlier in the list. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for asking this to kind of recenter us. This is a great question. I would say you're probably, it, it depends on what you mean exactly in terms of RPG mechanics. I think that Skyrim doesn't really require you know or utilize a lot of the systems that are available. It might be exhausting to see how many options there are, but in execution, I don't think it's it's exhausting at all. Yeah, uh, I, I, I totally agree. Again, there, there's there's a reason that this is like a huge uh, Halo Three finish the fight level video game. <laughs> you know, uh, in terms of marketing and and sales and uh, being ported to everything, it's because it's so easily accessible by even people who aren't fans of the genre. And I think just to double down on the thing that Steven was saying, I I think the thing that will be the most daunting probably uh, for you, a new player who um, gets exhausted by RPG mechanics is when you level up for the first time and you go up into the level up thing and it asks you if you want to increase stamina, health or magicka. Um, first of all, my, my opinion there is just like whatever one of those three is giving you the most trouble, just upgrade that one and focus on that for a while until it doesn't give you trouble anymore. But the big thing is when you see all of the skill trees and all the perks and things like that, it's going to look like a lot. Just remember that you only need to focus on the things that your character is actually doing, you know? So like if you become a big archer, then just focus on putting points into archery and don't really worry about anything else. Just like kind of, uh, put on blinders and just think about whatever the one thing that you're focused on is. And then branch out to other stuff. If you have like a, uh, you know, if you're struck with inspiration and you want to get really into enchanting or conjuration or something but uh i don't think you have to worry about it so the short answer is yes i think you should play the the video game (laughs) i agree but your response actually leads into the next question really well uh tk and discord thank you so much he asked a bunch of really good questions i picked a few that i think will uh, close out the episode nicely tk asked when you play one of these games do you stick to a class i.e pick a few skills you tend to like and stick to those throughout so the answer i think is yes i think brenda and i both and it's kind of like to your benefit you'll level up faster if you do a lot of different things like your overall level 
is determined by how many of the skills you're leveling up and they will get harder to level up the higher you get. So like you're always kind of encouraged to try out new stuff, but I tend to stick to like, okay, I don't worry about smithing one handed and restoration or whatever, you know? Right. Yeah. I, it is one of the weirder parts of this game that like it becomes so difficult to level up other things later. Or like if you have a, if you're level 100 in like two handed weapons and then you switch to like dual wielding swords or like having a, a one handed sword or something like you're like a little baby all over again. Um, <laughs> that's very funny that you could be like yeah. a, a destructive yeah. force if you hold a sword with two hands. But as soon as you release one hand from it, you like can't do anything like, and you trip and fall on yourself. This? Yeah. Um, that's very silly to me so i think just because that's kind of the way the game is built it kind of behooves you to focus on whatever class you're building out um but i will say like with with the um character i made recently although i'm doing one-handed mace and shield you know so leveling up one-handed and block and heavy armor mainly uh i have spent a little bit of time uh doing some archery just because i thought it'd be fun yeah And I, I will say I almost always do a combination of smithing, enchanting, and alchemy. Like, it's always kind of in your best interest to do. Hmm. I maybe won't focus on it entirely, but I smithing especially. I almost always do smithing because it's so worth it. Yeah, smithing's um, great. Yeah, I did. I, one, of my, um, one of my first playthroughs of this game was like an all smithing and enchanting focus. Mm. Uh, and it was incredible. Oh, my God. Yeah. That's kind of what I'm trying to do with Lester, like over time. Like his smithing is good. I can make orcish stuff, uh, but it's enchanting. That enchant alchemy is the hardest thing to like actively level because it's so chaotic. Yeah. But enchanting and smithing are, are a little bit more straightforward. Alchemy smithing is so fun because you just go into your ingredient section, you just press R2 over and over yeah. again to eat everything in your pocket. <laughs> right. It's like, Let me taste this bee to see what it can give me in a potion. Ooh, uh, a Falmer yeah. ear. Don't mind if I Here, do. Here's a potion that gives me uh, expert conjuration for a minute and also burns me when I drink it. <laughs> Favorite location in Skyrim? Another question from TK. Uh, it's a great question. I would say my favorite location, man, it's, it's, I do really like White Run. That seems like the easy pick, but I feel like there's a reason why you're drawn to that city first. And it's like in this kind of Lord of the Rings open plane and has everything you need and is like a little bit easier to get around than any other city. So I think like in function, White Run. Um, in vibe, Riften, and in just pure aesthetic, Solitude would be my my three. Yeah, I th- I think um, Solitude has this like immediate kind of evocation of like what I imagine when I think of just like fantasy city. You know, like yeah, they just completely totally. nailed that, and they were able to like take it and ground it in a way that makes it feel believable when you show up there. Um, but that said, I think my actual favorite place is probably the Mage's College in Winterhold. I think that the design of that that I don't know area, those buildings, um, the dorms, and things like that, I, it it all just feels so believable in a way yeah, that totally. I. I would not expect honestly from uh, a mage's college that is like that much uh, tucked away into the north of the north yeah i do like winter a lot hence why i want to be jarl of it um <laughs> i also like how it's like the whole game is snowy but it's like no 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 no, no. Winterhold is real snowy dude it's yeah. the snowiest you can't see the whole um, time yeah uh i cool. will say uh, that one of the mods that i'm using uh like really changes the way the lighting system works so like when it's nighttime or it's like dark and rainy like it is actually very very dark one of my weird complaints about both oblivion and skyrim is that like 
they give you torches that is an item and you never need them because it's always bright enough that you like don't actually need that stuff. And with this mod on, you like really have to have a torch with you at all times. There are actually other mods that give you like lanterns you can attach to your belt and stuff, uh, which is pretty cool. I haven't downloaded any of them, um, but uh, going to Winterhold for the first time when it was like that dark and snowy was like mortifying. It was a, actually like for the first time, Winterhold became a scary place to be, uh, which was weird. <laughs> it was so not the vibe. Here's a really fun question that I'm excited to answer. What do you think, also from TK, the rest are from TK, uh, what do you think makes a good guild quest line like the Oblivion Dark Brotherhood or Skyrim's Thieves Guild? Oh, wow. Uh, do you have an answer for this one? When I think about both side by side in comparison to the other ones we criticize, I think it really is pacing. I think that both the Dark Brotherhood and the Thieves Guild have like a really good ending to them where it feels like you experience the story that have like a big cathartic payoff and also gives you a very strong sense of identity in the game. Mm. Like whenever I do the Thieves Guild, I usually commit to being a thief for the game, not an assassin, not a snaky archer, but yeah. I'm like actively stealing shit in like a Robin Hood ethos of like, I'm not going to kill anyone. I'm going to get in and get out. Yeah. And the fact that it rewards you mechanically and narratively for doing so, I think is what makes it good. I think that the Dark Brotherhood is a special case in Oblivion where, like, it really kind of rewires your brain as a character. Like, we mentioned, like, the weird kind of insidious conditioning you go through when you're like, I, what I'm doing is justified, and then, like, kill everyone you know, just to make sure the rat is taken care of. It really adds a layer of darkness to the game that, like, wasn't there before. Yeah. So I think that a good a good uh, quest line has, like enough of a pace in that it, it doesn't feel rushed like the Skyrim Dark Brotherhood where it's like they're forcing these relationships too quickly. So it gives you time to get to know these characters like through ritual, through these kind of like entry level quests and then they kind of turn it up a little bit and it becomes more interesting narratively and it gives you maybe some fodder for your role playing. Um, so that's what I would say. Yeah, I, I think um, almost like reading between the lines of what you're just talking about. Also, there seems to be this like trend that's just a, a good quest line is just, uh, you know, has all the same tenets of a good story, right? Like, yeah, as yeah. long as the story is good, the quest is going to be good. Um, but I do think that there's that added benefit, that, as you're talking about, of like kind of changing the way you're playing that character, especially if you're going into it saying like, I'm building a specific way and then you do a quest line and then that way you're building suddenly changes because of the quest line. Yeah, I think the main quest job is to make you feel important no matter who your character is. And a side quest job is to make you feel like the way you're playing matters. You yeah, know, like yeah. the specific niche you've chosen that matters in a narrative way. I'll say that some of my favorite stuff I've done on this playthrough so far, though, has been the kind of like endemic uh, environmental storytelling stuff, um, kind of like a Minerva's Den in Bioshock 2 situation or a Gone Home. Um, but uh, I, I like recently I just found this um, house that uh, I, I was just kind of like wandering around and, and I noticed that there was a bunch of stuff to steal, but I didn't know who lived there. Like I had to break in to get in. Um, it was just like completely, I don't know why I decided to break into this house, but I did. And I, I wandered <laughs> into the house and I was just walking around because I'm, I'm not like playing a character who breaks into things, but for some reason I just decided it was like a house in the middle of nowhere. So I decided to break into it and I had a basement and I went into the basement and there was a bandit just there who like clearly also didn't belong there and he had attacked me on sight. And as I was wandering around this like basement, I was just like, like, why is there a bandit here? Like, this seems so confusing. And behind a bookcase, I found a button and I pressed the button and it opened up the bookcase, uh, it, which became a door that I went through. And it turns out that there was an entire like 
bandit dwelling under this person's house that they didn't know about while living up there. And the bandits had been like mining through, or I guess the bandits had been mining like through this cave that they were working on and like ended up in this guy's house or something. But even they were mining too far down the opposite way as well and like ended up in a big like Falmer ruin and got like completely obliterated by the Falmer. So like I was just kind of, I just stumbled upon this place by accident and I, and maybe there's this actual storyline or quest line that takes me there, but I just found it completely by accident and spent like an hour hour going through this cave system um, and felt like I had experienced the entire highs and lows of an actual quest line. You know, so I think like as interesting as it is when there are good guild quest lines like Thieves Guild or Dark Brotherhood and Oblivion, I think some of the stuff that you can come upon by yourself or some of the ways your brain can fill in the blanks of storylines that aren't even really storylines can be just as thrilling and change your gameplay just as much, which, you know, is one of the brilliant things about this game and this franchise. I completely agree. That also leads into the next question pretty well. We got just a couple more. I want to combine these two. What is something you wish had been carried forward from Oblivion? What is something you are glad has stayed behind? And what lessons should Bethesda learn from Skyrim and Fallout 4 to take forward into Starfield and the Elder Scrolls 6? So in short, like, what do we miss from the older entries? And what lessons can they learn from the recent entries to carry forward? My... immediate one uh, for me for Oblivion. So like as much as I appreciate the perk system and the way it works in Skyrim, I think for some reason there's something about the way Oblivion's leveling system feels that just like seems like it's more rewarding at all times. You know, like the fact that I could just jump constantly and level up my acrobatic skill in Oblivion (laughs) is like hilarious to me, but it ends with the ability to jump and run on water. You know, like that kind of stuff is so cool and feels like uh, really rewarding in a way that like, oh, my my mace does 20% more damage now that I've leveled it up 100%. Um, like, doesn't feel as as exhilarating. Um, there, there's something about the way Oblivion's leveling system works that feels better to me than in Skyrim's, even though I think Skyrim's is easier to parse for new players. I totally agree. And I, I also love the journal that your character has in Oblivion, oh where my it's God, like, yeah. I'm level four, like, I'm getting a little bit stronger. Um, I do think they did a better job just being like, okay, do you get health, stamina, or magic? rather than like having speed and agility as two different stats like what is this yeah i think oblivion also forcing you to like choose a class in the beginning is not the way to go like as as exciting as it is i think like choosing your your race in the beginning is is enough of a choice in that regard you know is saying like okay i'm gonna pick the uh argonian because they can breathe underwater i'm gonna pick the khajiit because they can see in the dark or i'm gonna pick the the Nord because they're better at like two handed weapons and, and, and combat skills. I think that that is like enough of a choice to kind of get people going and kind of inform maybe what their decisions are going to be going forward. But oblivion having you make that decision in the beginning and you then set it in stone. Yeah. yeah, totally. And then saying now choose your class. And then after that, making you choose your birth sign as well, which also <laughs> change like forces you down a specific hole is like a little bit too much player choice right at the top. But what's nice about Oblivion is that they allow you to just completely decimate that. You know, they allow you to just completely obliterate it and like work on something new um, and and level up everything else pretty easy. So there is that kind of give and take there. Uh, But I I do think that they made some like great strides in allowing for the player creation in Skyrim to be a lot easier to parse. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think the lesson that they did well in both Fallout 4 and Skyrim is like, 
they streamlined the information and the menus, like you said, and like just sort of like experiencing the game. The things that I want them to take forward in the Elder Scrolls Six and Starfield is like, like you said, the the kind of like niche stuff that sounds like it wouldn't be a big deal, but but can totally inform what your experience feels like. The ability to walk on water, like something that that harkens back to something that I love about D and D, is like there can be such flavor in the description of a spell or an ability that doesn't actually change how much damage you do or what happens, but it's just fun to have. You yeah. know, like I always think about in the fifth edition when you play a sorcerer. Um, every magic character has a different source of magic and in sorcerers they describe it like it's like a poet's gift it's just in you it's in your blood um, and your your sorcerer's background can determine that quite literally so there's draconic heritage which means like you are in some way a descendant of dragons which is why you can use magic and you can eventually grow scales and shit cool uh, the other one which I prefer <laughs> is chaotic magic which is like you're just kind of a blip in the realm like no one knows why or how you got magic <laughs> And whenever you cast a spell, there's all like there's a hundred different things that can happen. So it's like when you cast a spell, all your hair might fall out and like bubbles come out of your mouth. And like that's just like who you are as a character. That's and awesome. I think that it's like I think that's why D and D is still so popular, and I think it's why games still seek to evoke that vibe. Going back to Divinity, I think that's what Divinity does almost too well. Is like they're they're kind of like hands off. We're just gonna let whatever happen happen. Your skill to talk to ghosts and animals will result in you talking to a cow ghost that will progress the quest in some way. <laughs> um, I think that Elder Scrolls can actually look weirdly like keep doing what they do well in terms of accessible mechanics, but look to games like Divinity and like, hey, don't forget your D and D roots. You're not making a, a a Ubisoft action game you're making a fantasy game and don't forget that yeah you know, skyrim is like the really the perfect balance between the two yeah it, yeah it's, it's more about the way systems are interacting right than than anything else you know like you, you can have um I, I think breath of the wild proves this really well is like you can have a limited range of systems that are easy to parse for new players but the way those systems interact can be really complex you know if if somebody is imaginative enough and is trying to use them in really weird ways you know like taking all the all the steel swords you have in your inventory and dropping them on the ground to connect two points and then um you know two points uh and and uh, using them like a wire, right, uh, to like funnel electricity through all your swords in uh, in Breath of the Wild is like a really ingenious thing that is possible in the video game. But like not everybody's going to find that, but it, it's available to you if you want to explore and poke at the edges of what's possible. And I think that that's kind of a thing that like weirdly enough, I think Skyrim could take from Breath of the Wild going forward you know because yeah, i don't totally. i don't see them turning away from making the game as accessible as possible the way they did with skyrim and i think although there's a lot of people who push back against that in skyrim versus oblivion uh versus morrowind right because this has been a trend now at this point i i think that breath of the wild proves what you can do even while limiting you know what systems exist i completely agree and it's also i think this is a good summation of like why we're still talking about skyrim you know yeah. and like what what the future of bethesda games can mean um a fun question to end everything off on favorite daedric prince slash npc oh man do you have one right off the bat i get i guess i'll give one for both i think my favorite daedric prince is it's probably hmm I like Azura a lot because I like that she is sort of this like nice balance of like she is a good 
she's a force of good, but is also looking out for her own interests in a very Daedric way. Yeah. So like, she's kind of like a more interesting Adra. And I like sort of her realm and her relationship with the history of Tamriel. But, you know, I love Shea too, obviously. And <laughs> um, my favorite NPC, that's the thing. Skyrim doesn't really have like a ton of memorable characters per se, but I do really like a lot of the companions. Like I love Ayla the Huntress and Varkas. Like mm-hmm. they're just fun, good energy. I like Jazargo a lot in the Mages College. Who's yeah, like, I learned awesome. all this spells. So <laughs> I would say like Azora, Sheagorath, Jazargo, and Ayla the Huntress would be like my RPG party. Mm. I would choose. I love the guy who is screaming about Talos in Whiterun. <laughs> yeah, he's awesome. <laughs> I did actually like recently spend five whole minutes just listening to his entire speech go all the way through. It was thrilling that's what i was trying to channel during my whole master class about which age are angelical or not yeah i was trying to do like and there it is friends you know <laughs> he's great he's really great yeah i don't know i i just like so many of the npcs um that one in particular really works for me i do like actually everyone in dragon's reach and white run also like that does feel like you could set a whole sitcom just in Dragon's Reach uh, oh, with, yeah. the, with the Jarl and, um, oh my God, Preventus. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the cautious, the cautious advisor whose name is fucking Preventus. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I, yeah I, I would watch like I would watch uh, how I met Preventus, you know. It feels like they did White Run first. You know, it feels like they did the yeah. Thieves Guild first and White Run first in terms of just like the level of detail and characters there. Yeah. Um I do like the there's some fun people in Riften as well, like uh yeah. Mule the Lioness. She's like yeah. gotta find her sword. She's like one of the best followers. Yeah. The, act, the person who runs the metery that you burn down in the Thieves Guild quest too. Like if you go there before you join the Thieves Guild, before you do the whole quest line, um, and just like interact with her and and all the people like on her like metery. That also is just like a really interesting area to kind of explore and check out. Out like you could go like do essentially like a flight of mead there if you wanted to. Like you could like really just go like hang out, which is really fun, and then come back later yeah. and burn the whole place down. It's fun seeing the different factions from the outside. Like just as like a passerbyer, like I'm yeah. not in it. I'm not you know like you can do that. Like then you can see like as Lesser Junior, I met Cicero just on the road. His wagon broke down, and like, oh, the wow. mother is there, and he's like, "Could you help me repair my wagon?" Oh, Cicero, thanks you. Like whatever he does, yeah. Thanks, Laura Michaels. That was my Cicero. Uh, please hire me. Um, I, do, I do think there's a lot of fun to be had. Just sit, this is another thing I've been doing weirdly on this playthrough. Uh, just like whenever I show up in a new city, I'll just go find the tavern and just like sit down and just kind of like let it oh, kind yeah. of happen around me for a little bit. Um, yeah. Which is so great. Yeah. Letting it happen around you is like a really great way to play this game. That's like a good like thesis to take away from this. Yeah. In the city specifically. I mean, if you're doing it out in the totally. wild, like you're, it's just going to be nature killed. sounds, which is like fine, <laughs> but you could also get that on Spotify. Yeah. Um, so yeah, just like go sit in a tavern for a bit. You're going to have a good time. Yeah. I may not be the best blacksmith in white run. Um, yeah. Uh, there's some, there are some lines of dialogue that are like seared into my yeah. brain forever. I work with my mother. Sell fruits and vegetables. Ah, uh, anyway, um, do you want to wrap up? That were, yeah. Those were all the questions. Yeah, let's um, do it. Hey, thank you so much for listening. Um, a special shout out to all our patrons. This is a bonus episode. You allowed this to be possible. 
Um, if you like the show, the best way to help it grow is to share it with a friend you think it might like it. It goes without saying, I think we said this last week, but we've noticed like a pretty recent like spike in listeners and people reaching out about how much they like the show. Like that means so much. We love making it and we're, we're extremely happy people enjoy listening to it. Um, and it's been an absolute blast. Like I love these kinds of bonus episodes where we can revisit a game that like just means a lot to us from the past. It's been really fun. So thank you all so much for your support for the show. Yeah, uh, I mean, that's really all I have. You know, the usual deal. Enter the cast out online is where you can find all our different social media stuff. And, and you know, it's where our Twitter is, where our Twitch is. We're streaming a lot more. Brendan is streaming Final Fantasy 12 every morning, right? During At the, the moment, week? yeah. I think that might yeah. change soon. That's kind of like a little halfway point but before I decide like what to do for real for real. But uh, I'm having a great time doing that right now. I started that again on uh, Xbox and it's been... So good. That game is incredible. Yeah. I have a question really for you. Is. Are you going to keep streaming Skyrim? What's your plan now? Yeah. So um, I think that so I, you're at six I, episodes, which is how many episodes <laughs> of Lester Senior we have also. <gasps> oh, I mean, I got to do at least one more then just okay. to one up him. I will, I will definitely continue. I mean, right now, just for full disclosure, I can only stream from my PS4. So I want, and I really enjoy them. They're fun to do. So I'll probably do a few more Lesters. I'd like to reach some kind of narrative endpoint with him that feels good, like leaving it, whether it's like, finishing the dawn guard quest or something like that Mm -hmm. um it's pretty easy for me to do and it's nice to just play for like a couple hours and move on i do have plans once i get my new laptop i have some projects in mind for streaming like i want to do a nuzlocke run of pokemon sword which i'm so excited to do eventually but that will probably not happen for a couple months so i i can't imagine i wouldn't stream some more lester in the interim between now and then cool that's fun yeah yeah Um, um yeah oh go ahead it's great uh yeah uh as steven said into the casa online that's our links to everything um i I, like like he was saying i am streaming something every morning um every weekday morning at least eastern time uh generally 8 a.m to 9 a.m uh i do that before work uh at the moment it's final fantasy 12 i just got a new capture card in like literally as we were recording this so uh hopefully that'll get cooler and better and gooder (laughs) um but that said, uh, I do have another idea for another thing I want to start streaming soon, which, um, you know, maybe will show up soon. So I'm excited about that. I don't I don't want to say too much about it until it happens. But uh, I've done some tests and they've been good tests. So I'll probably keep doing it. Um, oh, yeah. But that said, um, I guess we should wrap up, right? Yeah, that's it. I mean, again, thank you all so much for making this happen. Uh, special shout out to the patrons, as always. And yeah, I guess with that, uh, my name is Stephen Hilger. You can find me at Stephen Hilger. My name is Brendan Bigley. You can find me on the internet at Brendan Bigley. Need something? <laughs> <laughs> I've been a hunting and a fishing my whole life. I can't <laughs> believe like... neither of us said the arrow to the knee thing the entire episode. Uh, and that, that was dead in like October of 2011. Yeah. Oh, no, that was before it came out. But even still, it was. Like... No, it was dead in October of 2011. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, thank That's you. That's like all. in that like cursed, whatever the opposite of a pantheon is of, of video game lions. You know, that's like <laughs> cake is a lie shit. It's like up there with Bazinga, basically, in terms of this, like, yeah, it's the same feeling I got. Whatever yeah. whatever it is, the same feeling I got. Thanks for everything, Azura. Goodbye. Thanks, Azura. Bye, Azura. Bye, Azura. Bye, Azura. It's the grand champion standing here next to me. So I guess there's an Oblivion episode coming, huh? <laughs> Every episode is an Oblivion episode. That's true. That's true. 
but maybe right. one day thank you Jero. i think we'll probably do a Morrowind episode one day and i feel like whenever like much like this episode was it felt like it was basically half oblivion anyway <laughs> the same will happen with Morrowind. Yeah. yeah you're right you can't really talk about these modern three without the other goodbye bye <laughs>